I'm calling this meeting to order. This is a Redmond City Council study session held on Tuesday, February 27th, 2024, commencing at 7 p.m. Council members in attendance are Council Member Salahuddin, Council Member Stewart, Council Vice President Forsyth, Council Member Anderson, Council Member Nueva Camina, and myself, Council President Kritzer. Council Member Fields is, is not in attendance tonight. If he does arrive, I will announce him when he arrives. There are four items on our agenda tonight. Redmond 2050 Planning Commission recommendation for housing and overlake, capital program 2023 year end highlights and 2024 look ahead, 2023 fourth quarter financial review and 2025 to 2026 preliminary forecast and budget process update and council talk time. So we have a packed agenda tonight, lots of exciting topics and leading us off uh, is, um, the, is the Redmond 2050 Planning Commission recommendation for housing and Overlake. Carol Helen, Director of Planning and Community Development will introduce this item. Director Helen. Thank you so much, Council President uh, Kritzer. We're pleased to be here this evening. Hello, council members. Uh, tonight, as part of Redmond 2050, we are going to focus on the Planning Commission's recommendation on Overlake policies and regulations. Uh, specifically, we have new topics for this evening in addition to what we discussed back on uh, February 13th, where we're going to start with the city's green building incentive program and a variety of Redmond zoning code rewrite recommendations. I'd also like just to spend a little bit of time um, having a little bit of a retrospective on uh, the housing conversation that happened on February 13th, just to make sure we've level set answered any questions that you may have. So then um, after that, uh, I'll have um, Jenny and Becky jump into their um, materials. So if you remember from the materials from February 13th, I just wanted to make clear that those are intended to uh, implement your policy objectives that were memorialized in the Housing Action Plan and in the Community Strategic Plan Housing Choices. So I hope you were able to see that in the policy objectives that were pursuing housing where the need was the greatest. So estimated housing need is by far the greatest for households earning 50% AMI and below. And the recommended policy approach is also supported by the Redmond 2050 themes of equity and inclusion because households at lower AMIs experience a greater share of cost burden and extreme cost burden compared to higher AMIs. So we know, and um, you all I know are hearing from private development and other stakeholders that uh, private development is only one source of affordable housing. And we need to build on the current success of our inclusionary zoning and our uh, multifamily um, tax exemption programs and calibrate those to make sure that we're serving sp the specific populations where demand is greatest. We also know that the inclusionary zoning and MFTE cannot solve all the affordable housing issues. So we know that there was some focus last week, for instance, on the proposal from the Planning Commission, the recommendation from the Planning Commission, that we include inclusionary zoning at a 12.5% requirement at 50% AMI. But we can't stop there, and the package that you reviewed on February 13th represented only one facet of the commitment that we make. And Plymouth Housing uh, was another commitment that actually uh, adds to that list, but other tools include the Housing Trust Fund, where we um, public subsidize, publicly subsidize, focused on uh, households earning up to 30% AMI. 
uh, we have in, we've been increasing overall supply through density increases aimed at the 80% AMI level. So uh, you'll be hearing more about that, but all of our middle housing work that we're doing to create capacity in the neighborhoods for people actually at the 80% level, we're hoping working um, middle income folks to be able to actually uh, participate in wealth generation by being able to own homes. And we are also doubling the density in Overlake and more than doubling the density in our areas referred to as OBAT and OVMF. Those are all Overlake areas. And um, we're also going to be expecting to bring forward uh, increases in FAR in the Marymore Village area and the downtown area later this year. So uh, other things that we've done are contributions of public land. That's the one that you addressed for Plymouth Housing. We also have been able to make use of Section 8 vouchers and um, provide support for shelters and permanent supportive housing. And in the $10 million that you set aside in the budget for 2023-2024, that actually provides seed money for low-income projects. And that's important because Local funds put in first actually leverage funds that we can receive from state and federal um, and county um, sources. So uh, we did that with general fund contributions. We've also made use of um, $1,406, which we were able to use uh, from a program that started around the pandemic that allowed us to use money um, that was a diversion of tax dollars that didn't increase taxes, but allowed us to take advantage of that and use that for, for instance, um, rental vouchers and other purposes. So what the point I wanted to make with that is we want the city, actually the city's goal broadly is to facilitate production. We have no interest in, um, in undermining the production that we get of housing and because we know that production is actually an important part of delivery. And we do believe the models that staff described uh, two weeks ago actually um, provide a sound foundation for the decisions that we're asking council to make and the recommendation that the planning commission made. So we had um, models that worked um, community attributes, worked with us, the city directly. We had consultants work with Arch. We also had FutureWise review um, our performas to provide their perspective. And we invited uh, stakeholders to review the models that, and we received valuable input from them that we incorporated. So uh, our models, we believe, actually provide a good framework for your decision-making. And we believe actually they um, are adaptive enough that we have addressed the risk associated with um, or the potential risk associated with um, uh, new regulations that may stifle housing production. But we didn't stop there. We also reduced costs in other areas and we reduced or eliminated off-street parking requirements. We increased FAR, as I noted earlier. Uh, we're also working to reduce the time and money associated with receiving permits by uh, simplifying the design review board process to a single meeting, which is required under state law. Uh, we're addressing permit timelines with the money that you allocated to a consultant to help us um, assess our permit processing um, systems to ensure that we are being uh, as streamlined as possible and meeting state timelines. 
and we're also eliminating the need for incentives in Overlake. So I wanted to also note that if that isn't um, enough, we have several safety valves. And uh, we have provided the, in the Planning Commission recommendation that step-down provision that does allow development to gracefully transition into the new 50% AMI level. We are also, um, what I, I want to dis describe in more detail, the generous um, vesting provision that we provided to developers. So any developer who has a project in by the end of this year in discretionary approval, so that's in our um, site plan entitlement process or master plan process, would be able to move forward with that project under the current regulations. Uh, so long as they submit a building permit by the end of 2026. So just to understand that kind of length of that runway that that allows for that transition, that means that developers would be able to work on their conceptual plans for another two years before they would have to file for building permits. And a building permit process can take um, in application, you have approximately a year and a half to two years to do your building permit application. And then your permit, your building permit vests for a period of time as well. So that transition can take multiple years. And a piece of information that I didn't have when I spoke with you uh, two weeks ago and when staff did their presentation was just the amount of development that we have in the pipeline in Overlake right now. And what we learned was when we um, pulled all of the permit information was that we have around 3,000 dwelling units that are currently in review in the Overlake area. And what that means is we have eight more or 10 more months of this year. So there is more time that developers could come forward to pursue projects under the current regulations. And that even if we only had 3,000, that's between a third and the half of the um, dwelling units that we have allocated to growth in Overlake at that 8,500 dwelling unit number. So um, I just wanted to provide some additional information um, that grounded some of what I've been hearing about uncertainty and risk and the steps we've taken to uh, address that risk and understand it and how we feel confident about it, how what we've done also to mitigate that risk by lowering costs in other areas and um, also take, put in, imposing these transition or offering these transition opportunities um, to developers so that they don't immediately feel the effects of a code change. So that's all I wanted to say on that topic. Also wanted to point you to the, um, the issues matrix where some of these topics were also addressed and answered from last week. Thank you very much, Director Helland. Uh, before we move on to the rest of the presentation, since that covered a lot and, and um, was wrapping up some of the discussion we had last week, I wanted to follow up to see, did council members have any follow-up questions on that particular information? Councilmember Stewart. Well, thank you, Director Helen. I'll just say for my part, thank you. Um, I don't have concerns about how uh, the inclusionary zoning tool or any of the other tools are are um, moving moving along and coming forward. I had been reflecting on the the uh, rhetoric and possibly a message that, well, it is a message that we know our planning commission. They told us they heard a lot about concern that. Um, any tool sharpened 
too far would grind development to a halt. And I have been thinking like, gosh, anyone who is concerned about that should really come to Overlake um, because there is a lot going on. And so to hear Director Helen say 3,000 units are currently in the pipeline, that matches. Um, that's my experience living in the neighborhood um, and speaking with my neighbors there. So thanks for the check-in um, on the tool and the other tools. I think that everything about, uh, I have no further concerns about the topics that we discussed last time. They're very much in alignment with the housing action plan and the other policies that have been set forward by this council. So thank you. Thank you. And I will echo that. I really appreciate the information, the additional information, because I know some of us have been receiving additional comments and, and questions, especially from the development community. So just being able to review before we move on um, from, from this particular topic to the, the next set of topics, um, you know, some of the uh, the both the mitigating measures we're looking at, um, any safety valves, should we see uh, something not go the way we want, but at the same time, why, you know, we are really rooting these policies in the data, in the modeling that we spend all that time doing in collaboration with those who are doing development, really, and, and with those those expert consultants, I think, is is really helpful as, as we move forward, at least for my part, um, to be, you know, excited to be able to, to move forward with these. So, um, are there any other questions, comments on this? Otherwise, we can jump into the next set of topics that we have slides on for tonight. Go ahead. Uh, staff have prepared a presentation content that focuses on topics identified by council members on February 6th, which was the staff report that we gave on the overall um, materials we would be bringing back in February. The presentation has resource slides at the end that we're actually not planning on presenting, that, but can be used as resources during the discussion if the council so chooses. And uh, key staff for these items are Jenny Liebeck and uh, from the executive department and Kim Dietz, who is here to answer questions if she's called upon, and Becky Fry with Planning and Community develop, Development. So with that introduction, I'm going to turn the microphone on to Becky. Thank you and good evening. So for this evening, we prepared this slide deck based on the questions that you provided to us. Um, we hope that this we were able to answer a lot of your questions in the Q&A in your packet, um, but we've also provided a, a lot of focused information and we're happy to have some in-depth discussions I know that you wanted to have today. We are going to focus on centers and overlake policies, um, how they relate to all of the other bigger packages, um, the pieces that you're not seeing today, uh, just so you have the context. Um, and then talk to you a little bit about the transition that... Um, Director Helen just mentioned, there's a couple of pieces that play into that. Um, you had asked to really spend some time walking through the Overlake Incentive Program, the Green Building Program. Both Jenny and I are here tonight and happy to do that. I hope you also had a chance to look through the Excel calculator um, that we provided in your packet. If you haven't, um, our developers who have been helping us test everything have done so, and it did find it helpful to understand how the program works. Um, but um, And then, if time permitting, we can continue any housing discussions if you'd like. Um, we are objective for this study session is just to get direction um, on the direction we're going. Uh, based on your questions, we are going to focus this uh, PowerPoint on the relationships um, and the code and the incentive programs. If there's anything else you'd like to bring up from your uh, packet of questions, please let us know. 
Um, so from the Overlake Centers and Policies perspective, um, just a reminder that we started with what we currently have today, which is our centers element. And based on a lot of discussion, especially around uh, character and how we want to fold in design and emphasize design, we've created a new community development and design element that is pulling those centers pieces and all of our design work and all of these other bits and pieces into one chapter that really talks about where growth is going to go and what it's going to look like all in one chapter. Um, what is before you in this packet is just the centers and overlake that was the stuff we started with first in phase one. But things to keep in mind, and you've, you've seen a draft of this element before, is there is a brand new section in there on design that includes a new section on inclusive design. And so all of those policies are driven by and were uh, influenced heavily by the work that we were doing in Overlake and the community discussion on equity and inclusion and design. Um, and so all of those do impact all of our centers, including Overlake. So if you don't see something related to those topics in this packet, it's because they are now applying not just to Overlake, but to the broader conversation. So I just wanted to remind you of that context. Um, that element will be discussed in more depth at a future study session. The other pieces and parts that have moved a little bit are the growth allocation section is now going to have its own section within that chapter. Um, and then there's a lot of conversation about equity and inclusion, so, both uh, centers-wide and city-wide. Uh, so we split that into two different conversations. Um, and I just wanted to point out to you that a lot of the things that are in the inclusive design section um, we are using as a part of the framework for Overlake. Um, so it's important to see and understand that context because the framework policies in Overlake are heavily referencing equitable transit-oriented development and equity community. Um, and so they do need to be seen in the context of the whole, even though this package is just keeping it into the Overlake and general center's policies. Um, so just to dive into the Overlake regulations in particular, um, we do have a number of things I wanted to walk through, a couple of them related to how we're going to transition to the new standards. Uh, for the first thing, we're going to recommend with the adoption that it goes into effect um, January 1, so not immediately this uh, fall when we're aiming for council adoption. That'll give some time for people again to get the transition in play from a paperwork standpoint, if nothing else. Um, but as um, Director Helen had mentioned earlier, there are, if you're in the process, you can choose to continue under the existing code or you can choose to change it. There have been some developers who have come in and have conversations about, well, now that I've got a little bit of a better idea about what's coming, maybe I need to rethink something. Um, and it will be their choice. So the way that we've written it in such, uh, is that you can choose to go under the new code if you find it's beneficial to you. Um, or you can choose, you would just let us know. Uh, we also have in there what we're referring to as incremental development provisions. So that if you have a property in Overlake that you want to do something to the property, but you don't have the funding laid out to do a complete teardown and rebuild at this time, uh, we have in 
put in there incremental development provisions that will allow you to maybe keep that existing building and maybe add another building or potentially expand that building slightly so that it allows you to slowly work your way to the new standards and not necessarily have to do a complete wipe and rebuild if the funding or today's market just doesn't work out that way. So it allows a lot of flexibility for uh, current property owners and developers to make choices that best match their circumstance and their property. Um, we have also provided a number of things with uh, the floor area ratio, the FAR updates, um, to make it easier for all of the podium style development that we're currently seeing today to happen, uh, to make that something that can happen without the incentive program. Uh, most of that will be able to just come in uh, and do what they need to do without having to jump through a lot of extra requirements to try to figure out how to get additional FAR. It's just by right now under the new FAR for those zoning districts. Um, we have paired that with some new criteria that is essentially going to make sure that we don't underdevelop this area by saying if you do come in with a very small proposal, make sure that you do it in such a way that plans for the future so that you don't maybe put one little building right in the middle of the lot and makes it impossible for future development to add more density. In five years, we're going to have a report that we have to give to that shows how we're meeting our target, how we're doing, um, and part of our provisions are just to make sure that we are not underdeveloping and um, in those areas where we need a lot of development and redevelopment to curb. And so there is a provision in there that just says, if you are going to come in with something small, just show us that you're doing it in such a way that it's basically phasing. Um, and we've set that target to be, if it's under what we're seeing today, just show us how you could at least get to where we're seeing today. Um, so it's not forcing that into a tower type of development. It's just saying that our new normal should be what we're seeing today. And if you can't get to that point because your financing or the market isn't quite working out, at least show us how you can get to that. Um, and so it just sets that new baseline. Um, so for the incentive package, um, as I mentioned, it is not going to be required for most podium style developments. Most of what we see in Overlake today will not need to dive into the incentive package. We have really focused this on trying to shift the market to really incentivize mass timber and tower when the market is ready for that. Uh, when we first started out, we were told that mass timber's not really there, but almost there. Now we're hearing um, that it really is actually pretty darn close and we might actually be there by the time everything wraps it all up. There's some exciting things we're going to be doing. Um, Jenny and I have a workshop next month um, that's really, there's a lot of excitement in the market saying that the mass timber actually might be ready for us. Towers will take up a little bit longer. Steel's really expensive. Uh, but we have worked with the tower developers in our uh, region to make sure that the code is workable from day one so that whenever the market gets ready that we don't have to go back and do any code updates we can actually just slide in and take a development right away and that was really important to us we wanted a code that worked from day one even if the market wasn't quite ready for it um, we've also built it in such a way that there's catalyst projects, uh, flexibility for smaller projects. If you are a podium type of development that wants to come in for just a little bit of extra points, uh, there's some flexibility in there. You can dive in and grab a few points. You don't have to go through the whole package. Um, and there's also an option for a council approved customized package option. Um, so we built the package for flexibility, but we built it for being focused on the future and not on what we're seeing today. And that pairs with the upzoning that we're doing, the changes in the density in FAR and, and building heights. 
Um, so what that looks like is a menu of options. So we're going to a point-based menu of options instead of a couple of different buckets that you have to do this one before you can get to that one. It is five main categories. If you're gonna do the incentive program, you pick one thing from each of the five main categories. Um, we're not limiting to a certain cost amount or a certain type of investment, just do something from each category. Um, we have also this catalyst category where if you don't wanna do the whole package, you would just dive into the catalyst and you could just do one of those bullet points from there. Um, and as I mentioned, there's a, a customized project. But the five main categories, we've kept a lot of the ones that we have today, affordable housing, green building, and we have open space, art, and public amenities, and some building site and form in our current system. Uh, we have updated them to match um, the visioning that we went through, uh, council included. We spent a lot of time talking about what should be in the incentive package, what we should prioritize over other things. Um, council very clearly told us that everything's really important. Um, there's no <laughs> one thing other than really affordable housing, really, you know, uh, there's no one thing that's not important. So try to find a way to really make sure that we're actually tackling and moving forward at some pace, um, all of the things that are really important. Um, and so we've tried to reflect that in this as well. Um, the one thing that is very new um, is the inclusive design. Um, and just for context, we've had many, many conversations with a number of different people working in this field. And we're the first ones that we know of in the country who are incentivizing inclusive design, universal design features. I mean, we're kind of breaking ground on this. Um, but there's a lot of excitement around it and a lot of support for it. So, so that is a new category for us and for everybody. Uh, one of the other things that we heard really strongly for Overlake, but also just in general for the community, is the need for child-friendly areas and services, spaces, things to do, the whole nine yards, especially in Overlake. Overlake has a, a need for that that's pretty extreme. Um, and so one of the things we built into the incentive program is an extra bonus for child-friendly options. And if you go into the calculator, there's a series of columns that says this qualifies, and we've gone through and identified a couple. That can change if you guys wanna add a few more things that you wanna consider child-friendly bonuses. But what we structured it so that is if you choose to do four or more of those items that we have preliminary pre-identified as qualified for a child-friendly bonus, it will automatically give you an extra bonus. You don't have to apply for it, you don't have to do anything. The calculator is set up to automatically see if you're doing four or more child-friendly things and it gives you an added bonus, which means you get the bonus that you would get for doing that item and then extra on top of it. Um, and again, that's just to help make sure that we can really prioritize getting those child-friendly spaces and places into Overlake. Uh, we can change this over time. There's different things that we could prioritize, things that are child-friendly, but we don't necessarily need to be in the bucket. So we could flex this over time. But if the community was telling us it's really important to make sure that that is a uh, all-ages neighborhood. So. Um, the other thing I did want to point out is that because the market is one that's challenging right now, um, because we do want to make sure that we're bridging the gap and helping ease things into mass timber and towers, 
and be ready for that. We have built initial thresholds that are lower than what we think the final will be um, to help bridge the gap. So based on the system and how it was built, uh, maximizing it and the end point would be 400 points. That would be your max incentive points needed. We've actually set it at 200 to start out. And then over time, we could change that number to go up to 400. And that would be based on a review that we would do maybe every three to five years. We'd take a look and see are we ready to set that go up a little bit. We don't need the market transition assistance anymore. We can start to ease that off. Um, and then some of the catalyst options are limited in use. Either we only need one of them or two or three of them, or we only want to really heavily push them for the first couple of years, maybe the first three to five years, and then we can ease off the points on those two. Um, so some of the catalyst items are set to expire, um, and so that was intended to be that way. We don't necessarily need a whole bunch of certain types of things. One big one or two or three of them might be fine. Um, but the whole system is intended to be periodically reviewed. Um, the way it is set is we have assigned points based on cost, um, and then we have assigned points based off of city priorities. And so um, there are different changes in time that will come for both of those things. And so we'll need to do a reevaluation of both cost and the community vision. And we do anticipate that new ideas will come up that we might wanna put on the list and things that we don't need anymore that we can start to take off the list. So the entire incentive program is meant to be a living document that is updated to match the city's uh, view of what it needs for that area over time. Oh. Um, I'm gonna hand it over to Jenny now to walk through the green building. Perfect. Um, yeah, so just to kind of um, provide a little bit of context first. Um, so the city's green building incentive program has been in place for well over a decade. Um, it's been incrementally updated during my, oops, I've got a flashing green. Oh yeah. Um, the, the program has been, um, you know, had minor updates over the past 10 years. Um, but with the adoption of the ESAP, there was a need for us to take a little bit fresher look and make sure that we're just aligning with the city's, um, with the city's goals. And so we embarked on a rewrite of this um, element of the code um, through the phase, phase two zoning code update. Um, and that went through, as you know, I'm sure Kim has told you, um, through robust stakeholder process over the past few years. Um, and through that process, um, I heard kind of three key themes in our, the feedback. One was um, to, a desire to keep the program voluntary. Um, a, a strong desire to focus on program outcomes, not on specific certification programs. Um, and then also a desire to keep and, and maintain flexibility for developments to kind of um, customize the, the incentive package. And so, um, so we worked, um, I think, really hard to really stay focused on both our, the city's sustainability goals and be really responsive to that stakeholder feedback. Um, and so the general process, uh, or the general structure, I should say, of the program, which is outlined here, um, includes, uh, again, voluntary points-based program um, that, again, maintains that flexibility for projects. Um, it also allows us to flex as the city explores new incentive program structures, like what Becky has just talked about with Overlake. So we can easily kind of um, pivot and flex to support uh, those, those new incentive packages. Um, we will have minimum requirements to participate in the program, um, and the projects can select the relevant tactics um, that are, are most applicable to their projects, and, again, still maintaining progress towards the city's sustainability goals. Um, 
We didn't outline any new incentives through the, the zoning code update or through this specific code language. Um, really the intent is that we're creating kind of a standard program or a foundation that can be referenced by the underlining zoning code as those are updated. Um, again, we're trying to create consistency because um, right now if you look across the, the code, there's a lot of different um, kind of ways that green building is incentivized or different kind of definitions, if you will. And so we're trying to create a more of a standard definition, uh, if you will, for, for green building. And then um, we did add a, a penalty in the amount of 2% um, of the total estimated building value um, if projects don't fulfill their commitment, because um, obviously they're getting the incentives up front and we have no, um, in the previous zoning code language, we had no way to um, ensure that they followed through with that. And then finally, um, we did create an appendix where we included all the detailed information about the program um, administration. You can go to the next slide. Um, and so, as I mentioned, you know, for developments to participate in the, the incentive program, they will need to meet a certain number of minimum requirements, which you see on the left there. So it's um, things like projects must be 100% electric um, and leverage a prescribed energy code building envelope pathway. Um, participating buildings must also meet a specific energy use intensity target um, that is in alignment with, um, with the state's clean building performance standard. Um, and this was also kind of a strategy that was developed in direct response to um, stakeholder feedback that we again focus on outcomes and not specific certification programs. And um, this is also, I think, a, a more innovative element of our program that there's a lot of interest around. Um, so again, this is setting buildings up for long-term uh, success and compliance with this state, this state uh, law. Um, we are also asking projects to share their um, EPA, their portfolio manager energy data with the city. I'm just giving us more information as we develop future programs. And then um, also, um, sorry, I just go got lost in my notes. Um, and then finally, we're also asking projects to, um, to share and track their embodied carbon. Um, and this was a, a more recent ad as a result of stakeholder uh, planning commission feedback, actually. I um, mean, it aligns well with the mass timber work that Becky had just mentioned. And then on um, the right side, you'll see the, the optional techniques um, that all have all been assigned point values. And so projects must just select enough techniques to reach a minimum point threshold here. And so again, all of these efforts are aligned with our sustainability goals and working in concert with both state policies and, um, and this again, the city's goal and vision for sustainability. Um, so again, this, I think this, this structure and this program and how, how things turned out has been a really great working balance of, again, our sustainability priorities and focusing on those outcomes that we wanna see in support of our um, sustainability goals overall. So, um, I will conclude there and uh, can open it up to any questions because I think that's our last slide. Thank you so much. Are there questions on either of these great presentations from the council? Councilmember Nueva Camina. Wow, that was great. I love, there's so many things about it that I love. Um, the, the point system, incentives, the fact that we're able to have conversations that were that close to Mass Timber. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, one of the things that I had a question about was when we're planning for increase of families coming to Redmond and families that are already here that we expect to grow and having incentives like child-friendly housing, how do, we, how do we communicate with the school district with the influx that they're going to receive? 
Yeah, we've been working really closely with the school districts for the last couple of years with all of the numbers and all the productions. Um, and in Overlake, most of the um, the new children would be in the Bellevue School District. Um, they are actually kind of excited about that because they've been talking about closing schools and the schools that they would be dealing with closing are the ones where the influx of students in Overlake would help balance that out and potentially reopen. Um, so um, in Overlake, adding children is actually a, not a concern to the school districts. Uh, obviously, citywide, there's a, a lot of flux in different schools and different needs, and we've been working really closely with the Lake Washington School District, too. Um, but in Overlake in particular, it wasn't seen as an issue. It was actually seen as uh, a little bit of a blessing. I will acknowledge, though, that they are going to have to change over time some of their assumptions. Um, and we've been working with them, too, and reminding of that as well, because some of their modeling um, is going to have to change as the type of construction changes and um, the anticipation of... Um, or the expectation of what a garden style apartment would mean from uh, the impact of students is a little bit different than urban housing typologies would mean. Um, and so we've been working with them on, on making sure that um, as change comes over time, uh, all of the annual conversations we have with them will end up changing some of their modeling as well. Thank you. Councilmember Anderson. Just had a quick question to tie back this uh, conversation today. This is for Ms. Liebeck, um to the conversation we had. I think it was uh, the general planning team uh, on the um, comprehensive plan element. There was one that mentioned tree lines, and there was an item on here that talked about tree preservation. And I was kind of wondering if you could talk a little bit about how those two things kind of come together, because this is a development-related goal, and so is tree protection part of that. Um, larger conversation and how would that impact this tree lines comp plan goal? Ooh, a stumper. I can speak <laughs> pun intended. Ways. <laughs> Stumped us. Um, so the, the language in the incentive program is really um, encouraging developments to retain tree canopy. Um, and it's basically reinforcing the code language that we have right now around, um, again, maintaining tree canopy for developments. Um, so I, to your question on the pre, I was not, I'm not uh, akin to the project that you, or the conversation you already had. But again, right now we're just trying, or the, Green Building Incentive Program language is focused on reinforcing the, the zoning code language that exists around tree preservation. Got it. I don't it. think that answers your question. I, but. A little bit. And so I, I, my, what I heard from you is that this is an incentive program to retain trees. Mm -hmm. um, what will happen in the event that trees are removed for other code, the, in the new code coming up about tree line protection or tree, those were something that was highlighted in the last conversation. I could look, probably look back. So on one it. of the things I can actually um, also lean into is the fact that we are planning on changing the code a little bit. We did remember you looked at code revisions year before last, and there was an appeal to the Growth Management Hearings Board of Kirkland's regulations. Kirkland has now settled that appeal, so we will be dusting off our tree regulations, but the focus is a bit more on tree management rather than tree preservation. We don't, we want to preserve tree canopy, which is why Jenny's materials actually have an incentive attached to doing that, but we also know that we need to accommodate public facilities and we need to accommodate 
housing and we need to accommodate the other growth that is assigned to us. So management is also a component of that work. So if you can't essentially work around a tree, preserve it, there's a mechanism for you to remove it and replace it at a certain um, basically ratio or replace it offsite or contribute to fees in lieu. Mm -hmm. So just to clarify, I think you used the word tree canopy and what I recall from the conversation on the comp plan, uh, the incoming comp plan was tree lines. So my question would be if a developer were to remove, if, if tree lines is a thing, um, if a developer were to remove a tree and not take an incentive to preserve it, mm -hmm. do we have protections to keep those ones that we've determined to be important? I will have to go back and look at that. I okay. don't remember the specific terminology of tree lines. Okay. Now, there are some tree lines um, right now that we relate to, that building height is related to, um, which we are trying to essentially get away from doing that because tree lines are, okay. they change over time, but also because they can be eliminated over time and it's not very predictable for anyone who's um, developing. Okay, and that was that's the meat of the question. So, just wondering if there's, we're we're acknowledging that those tree lines do change over time, mm -hmm. and then do we have ways to not only um, incentivize protection but require certain elements that to be protected in the long run? And I'm happy for a follow up on that. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Council Vice President Forsyth. Thank you. Um excited about all of this and I will admit off off at the top here that I need more time to play with the incentive calculator. Um it's really pretty cool and I definitely want to play with it some more. One thing that I'm um sad I'm not seeing is the and a green roof um line and I think you had mentioned that this is the same things that we have currently just pulled into this bigger incentive program. Did I hear that correctly? This was um, for the green building incentive program, the citywide program. Yeah. Um, it was based effectively a, a rewrite of our existing program yeah. um, to realign with the, the sustainability plan. Um, so yes, the current version does not include any reference to um, green roofs. Can we? We can, yes, I don't, <laughs> for the direction of council, we can absolutely, um, we can do that. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I feel like I've been, like, beating that drum for a while. So I would love to see us have an incentive for green roofs. It's it's not much different than a bioengineered green wall. So I was pleased to see that because green walls are awesome too. Um, but we just earlier tonight talked about uh, community gardens. And I think that maybe if our developers could get creative, community garden could be a way to execute some green rooftops or other really cool um, spaces that are that are up in that space and, and keep us from creating uh, heat islands, I think would be really great. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, and then one thing, uh, Director Helen, that you mentioned was the design review board at the at the top of your comments and how it would be reduced to one meeting. One meeting from what? What was the prior requirement? So uh, right now there can be numerous meetings. Right. Um, generally there are two. What happens is the design review board makes their comments, staff generally takes them back or the developer takes them back, responds to those comments and comes back to the design review board for additional input. Now what the 
the state limits our ability to have more than one meeting. So the process will change to them providing direction, staff administratively incorporating that direction. Okay, so that's that's a state change that Correct. we're adhering to. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Um, and then the other thing that I don't know if it would be in this section or in the design section, but it kind of crosses over to both. Um, I wasn't seeing anything in what I read about um, exceptions for passive house design. Am I missing that somewhere, or is that somewhere that we it can, it can be pointed um, out? What exceptions are you... Um, or just incentives for passive house. I guess in the design section, I was looking for modulation exceptions, but in, in this incentive section, I would be looking for an incentive for passive house design. Yeah, so again, this was based on very, very uh, consistent feedback from our stakeholders that they didn't want us to reference a specific um, incentive or a specific certification program. Okay. Um, and so the energy use intensity target approach that we leverage or that we use allows developments to pick any certification program that they want to, to basically verify that compliance. So they could absolutely do that. Um, and then they would earn more points um, by having a more energy efficient building. So again, we don't directly call out passive house or you know lead or anything like that, um, but they would be um, compensated, if you will, in points uh, for, for doing that, for going above and beyond. Okay, but then would we need a, mo a modification or exception in our modulation standards in the design section because we have those setbacks and that can actually cause Passive House to not be able to achieve those energy saving goals? We could certainly take a look at that when we're do doing the design standard code updates. Um, I know that there was some concern on that too, but um, I'll have to go back to my notes and see if we've been able to wrap that in already or not. That'd be great. Um, it wouldn't be reflected here. It would be reflected in the design standards. Yeah, I had it in my design notes, but then realized mm -hmm. it was kind of fit into both. So, all right, thank you. Just as a follow-up on that, could could we get that one added to the matrix, um, sure. just so mm -hmm. that way? Because I think I've I've heard Council Vice President Forsyth ask about passive house a number of times, and just to make sure that's documented yeah. of, of what we're we're thinking on that. And then um, before we move on to others, I did I think there was a request around having staff look at at adding green a green roofs incentive. So I just wanted to get a a number of, of thumbs from council members, whether you're supportive of staff um, giving us that uh, or a draft of, of that added to the draft. Um, thumbs up, thumbs down. No thumb. I see. Are you, is that a vote yes or is that a, a comment? comment about that. All right, comment, yes. And, and I, I saw four thumbs, so you can note there's a majority interested. Right, in and so to add, if there's interest in this, I would appreciate adding uh, shade trees, especially mm -hmm. in downtown area, and in addition to the vegetated walls and green roofs is something that we look into. Are, or is there interest in um, getting some language on shade trees as well? Thumbs, council members? All right, I think, yeah, interested in, in adding those. Can I ask a clarifying question on that one? Um, was that specifically to the incentive program? We have a lot of shade-related code in there, um, and shade trees in particular. Um, but is are you looking at shade tree for the incentive program? If that's possible. It's already part of a, a minimum requirement that has to be met. Okay. 
guess to give clarification on both of these, if if it turns out that any of it is actually already in the code, then it could be more of a matrix item. But if if there is language that we need to add to get at the intent that I think the council members are getting at, okay. then it would be great to be able to see that back. Do we have a formal sh like shading policy in place or code item? We have a number of policies and code related to shade, and we have mentioned of shade train and other shade structures, um, but shade trees are specifically mentioned in a couple of places, but we can help point that out. Okay. Call Thank, it. You. Thank you. Make it easier to find for sure. I think we're just actually going around the table here. Councilmember Stewart. All right. Well, apologies to the next two council members. Um, I do have a couple, a few questions. Um, Jenny, maybe I'll start with you since I have fewer questions on that. Thank you for your work on this. Um, I think it would actually be really helpful to articulate one more time the relationship between the incentives in the green building program and the Overlake incentives. How do the two interact or if at all? I can walk through that if you'd like. Um, what Jenny did is updated the citywide policies and the citywide program. What we did for the Overlake package is we took her line items and transferred them into our structure so that anything related to Overlake is all in one spot. But the actual line items are the exact same except for we've taken four of those things and turned them into mandatory. Um, so they're not a part of the incentive program at all. They're just a part of mandatory requirements for Overlake. Um, and then what we have done is if they want to go above and beyond those mandatory. So like, uh, like we, I think there's one that's a silver certification. If you got the gold instead, you got extra points. So you went above what became the mandatory. Um, and so there's a couple of things in there, but from an, the standpoint of what the goals should be and what the targets should be, the overlay package just used what Jenny developed and just made sure that it was just in what was allowed to overlay and then just tailored a little bit to match the other things that we're doing in overlay. I'm really glad I asked that question. Thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate that. And then Jenny, I, um, excuse me, Ms. Liebeck, I have a follow-up question on solid waste. So I think I had been wishful thinking that we were gonna get to the design issues that we've been talking about around residential multifamily solid waste. Um, so I think some of the things that we've heard from community in the past few years is, individual multifamily buildings don't participate, all of those things. We have discussed some of the design issues like multi-story buildings with only one garbage chute, right? Um, things like that. So I clearly was putting my hopes in the wrong bucket. Uh, where else might we be getting at some of those design? I see Kim coming, so actually maybe it's a question for Kim Dietz. Um, but what, where else should, where does that conversation lie? Um, yes, we, uh, as part of the improvements to the solid waste program, staff between planning public works um, did look at the different ways that a building can be designed to accommodate the internal storage of waste, um, including compost, recycling, and um, your standard garbage, but also the placement of those receptacles during your pickup days. Um, so there are many things that need to be met in order to make sure you have safe pickup of, of the waste. And so online with us tonight is Aaron Mulder, who was key in helping form this new section of our code. And if Aaron, if you have anything to add, um, are you online still? Mm 
Sure, I'm here. Great, thank you. Yeah, so the new code, the intent of the new code is to increase diversion through ensuring that the new multifamily buildings have adequate space for staging of all the dumpsters and also that there's uh, access for residents within the building. Um, the other big thing that we worked on is that uh, there's room for staging uh, also on the street. So uh, what we've seen as downtown's developed is dumpsters left out on the street and no planning for that. And so this code gets at uh, developers having to uh, find that space as they plan for the building for service. Great. Thank you guys so much. And so this code, could we have that referenced in the matrix? I don't want to take over um, the, the meeting with this topic because it's not part of the, we already have a thousand pages in front of us and this sounds like it's in a different mm -hmm. spot. So if we could have that added to the matrix. Actually, this is a part of this package. Okay. Um, 2145 uh, is part of the zoning code rewrite items that were put into the Overlake package because of the urban form of Overlake. We wanted them to go um, earlier. So this is a part of what is considered the Overlake package. But we can add it to the matrix for sure. Okay. Thank you. I do appreciate that. And I'm noting this also. Thank you. And actually just one quick follow-up question. So those are going to be our are minimum requirements, not incentives, um, this this piece of it. Yes. Great. Um, Councilmember Salahuddin, did you, you have a question as well? I think I saw your hand raised. Yeah, thank you. Um, similar to Council Vice President Forsyth, um, we'll definitely be taking a look at that calculator a little bit um, more closely. I really appreciate um, going in detail on these incentives, um, and I, I particularly uh, appreciate the child-friendly bonus, um, especially in ensuring that we're getting more more youth in our community um, having access to to incentives that you're you're trying um, listing here. Uh, a lot of my questions were, um, you know, primarily I, I emailed Director Helland uh, earlier today and um, can follow up later just so that we're not, um, you know, talking through some of those same things. But uh, around the fee and lieu. And I know that that was referenced, um, especially in the appendix, I think slide 29 um, on, on the PowerPoint on one of the uh, incentives. Uh, just in looking at affordable housing and that um, affordable housing in lieu fee, I know that we had discussed, you know, reframing what that actually looked like and, uh, you know, using fee in lieu as part of what we were doing moving forward. Uh, would be interested in learning about, you know, the point structure with that in mind for affordable housing if we're trying to shift away from a lot more fee and lieu? Like, would they get points for for that? For fee and lieu? Yeah, I, I'm just confused by that last line. Sorry. Oh. There is a fee and lieu option that um, we requested that it would be um, the fee and lieu program would be tied to uh, the fee and lieu updates that um, the housing package is moving forward right now. So it'd be the same structure and it would not be the first and ideal approach. Um, actually, we were requested from some businesses who are only going to be building commercial buildings and not having housing to have an option for them to do a fee and lieu for housing because it met with their corporate prioritization. 
Um, and so it was one of one of the requests. However, the Planning Commission did have a lot of discussion about making sure that it wasn't like the default. Um, and so there's definitely some criteria built into that. And in the housing package, there is an update to the in-leap in -leap program that would apply to this as well. You would have to meet that criteria. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And my other question is, um, you know, not, this is not a problem at all, but, uh, you know, also not knowing what the development scene will look like, um, you know, moving forward. What if everyone just goes for the publicly accessible gym space? And, you know, we, we do want to diversify the incentives. We, we want to make sure that the community has a lot of these different opportunities. Is there yeah. something in place when we're looking at which opportunities folks are going for? And that's one of the reasons why we built this to be flexible and intentionally a living document so that if we don't need something after the first three or four of them come in and we're like, that's all we need in Overlake, we can just strike it from the code in the next annual update. Um, so it's, it's going to be really easy to just do a clean strike or replace if something comes up as a new idea that we want to put in. Um, the intention is to allow that flexibility over time and not get locked into specific buckets of items, which is what we got caught in in the system that we have today, as we have a bucket that has specific items in it and then a second bucket that has a different item. Um, and so we're, we are trying to move away from that, making the system a little bit more flexible. Um, I do think that some of the other things that we built in from a menu of options standpoint should help. Um, and also the fact that how we have done our point system so that if something is a really low cost, low priority item, it's not going to get a lot of points. Um, and so if it's a really high priority item um, and it's a low cost item, you don't get penalized because it's a low cost because it's still a really high priority. Um, so we hope that the point system helps with that. Um, but it is intended for us to check. It's not intended for us to just let it sit and then let it ride because we have seen that happen. Um, the the low-hanging fruit tends to be things that people like to slide into. And so we just take that off the list if it gets to the point where we don't need it anymore. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, one quick follow-up question on that. Um, so, you know, we, we've already seen some examples of this, of developers taking advantage of certain incentives, um, like, for example, creating, you know, certain types of commercial or even, you know, we've seen an example in Overlake of, of a developer partnering with a childcare facility to, to kind of design the building, thinking about this. Um, what's your thought, just kind of more looking forward, of, of how we would get especially those um, uh, in the public that might benefit or might kind of build on those collaborative projects connected with the developers as they're thinking about this. Um, you know, like, because it seems like some of that is happening, but is there, is there a vision for how we would make sure that good projects get connected? We've been talking about that a lot with Philly Art um, and our economic development strategies too, because anti-displacement, one of the things that our tools is, is trying to get those connections early on so that the building can be designed for folks who need spaces. Um, it's cheaper and it's easier to make sure people have the, the ability to move in. So I, I would say that a lot of that work is probably gonna be super helpful anyway, because the, the partnerships that we're gonna be building and structures on that, I would say Carol and Philly would be uh, a great person to build on that. But I do think that the entire system that we're setting up is 
trying to push people to think holistically from the very beginning. Um, the universal design features, for instance, is another example of how if you think about it from the very beginning, it's cheap or no cost at all. Whereas if you like three months into the design process, all of a sudden have to shift. Or if you're wanting to do mass timber, you have to design it from the beginning to really take full advantage of that. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we're building from our code is trying to make sure that all of the city priorities are really clear up front and people are having them in mind from the get-go. And then we can work on maybe the partnership pieces with some of the things that Philly and One Redmond and whatnot are doing. Thank you, and uh, and I will note, I think that there's a lot of really um, cool pieces to this incentive package. I know that actually at our council retreat this weekend, we were talking about the, you know, how we're hearing from community a lot about wanting to have more um, cultural arts spaces, community spaces, mm -hmm. and I love that that piece of the incentive. I think it'd be a, a great way to be able to have kind of that access to um, a lot of that. Um, and then, uh, you know, I guess one just quick question on the incentives, um, in particular the ones that are creating those public amenities that we hopefully create the uh, privately owned public spaces. Uh, is 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 the um, requirement of these incentives, for example, if they create um, a playground or a dog park or something like that, that, that it has to be publicly accessible, not just expanding the access for the residents of that particular building? Yeah. Yeah, so the way that we have structured the incentive program is that it would be publicly accessible. Um, there are other OSIS requirements and the ways that you can meet um, what is needed by minimum code that doesn't necessarily have to be publicly accessible, uh, but the prioritization for the incentive program was those publicly accessible spaces. Great, thank you. So I asked my first round, Councilmember Stewart, kick us off for the second. Thank you, I appreciate that. And just to stick with the incentives for a second, Becky, I this would be another thing that would be maybe helpful to articulate a little bit. Um, the incentives are set up to be reviewed periodically mm -hmm. by who has that responsibility and is it who decides when it needs to be updated? So what we would do is take it to the Planning Commission um, and then they would do a review and if they want to recommend changes, they would recommend changes to the council. Uh, it would, could also be folded into our annual update process. If we haven't done it for a while, then we can just throw it into an annual update. Thank you. I think uh, some of us have um, experienced the code more in the like catch-up work that you all have done, not the uh, the annual update. Like, that's going to be an exciting thing to experience. So I appreciate that. Um, on the uh, incentives that are helping to produce a neighborhood that is more friendly to families and more inclusive of families, I have I have a piece of feedback that's based on feedback we hear in other parts of the city. Um, the title we're using here is child-focused spaces, but I would really like to encourage us to think about youth-centric spaces, what an infant needs, what a school-aged young mm -hmm. person needs is different than what our teens need. Um, we heard a lot about that even in Southeast Redmond and the development then of the early plans for that new park needing a space where teens can feel included. So we absolutely need some playground equipment in the Overlake Metro Center. We also need places where teens can feel like they can be included. Um, so that's that's a piece of feedback that I would just offer up to the team. 
And well, I, I agree, and actually that is something that was brought up quite a few times uh, that has not necessarily made it in this first round of the incentive package, but could potentially be something to be added on. There's a number of other things um, that just didn't get rolled into the rollout of the incentive program that could be plugged in. But you're right, there's a desperate need for teen spaces in Overlake in particular. So could, uh, I think you're suggesting that um, that might be something we would add on after it's adopted this year. Is it too late to consider modifying this category to be more youth-centric? Um, not necessarily, but what I would suggest is that we don't necessarily roll it into Overlake, but we look at it um, with the downtown and Marymore and citywide updates that we're doing, um, because one of the things that we have not done is cost evaluation, and we're trying to do a point system that's based on known costs and city priorities. Um, so I wouldn't try to put it in Overlake, but I would look at the citywide downtown in Marymore. That would give us enough time to actually roll it into the next round of uh, consultants number crunching. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, and so last question for you, Becky, um, and the team. You, you know, you said a few minutes ago that this universal design, these costs, especially at the beginning in a neighborhood that's being redeveloped like Overlake, costs nearly nothing or is very cheap to do at the beginning. So I just want to double check. I'm, I'm so inspired by the idea that a neighborhood like this could be more inclusive from the start. Um, I just want to double check that I, I see what's in the incentives. Have we given all that we can to the requirements um, that, so that we can keep assigning points for it being even more inclusive in the incentives, but have we gone far enough? I don't want to be in a position a few years from now when we're like, gosh, we should have included this, this one barrier that keeps getting built in our neighborhoods. There are a lot of ways that different communities have approached that question and a different scale of approaches. Um, if council really wants to dive into that, I think we can provide some additional information um, on different ways to potentially approach that and see if you'd um, like a separate discussion. I, there's a lot of really good resources that might be interesting to you. Everything from just a couple of code tweaks that help nudge everybody in that direction all the way up to universal design code updates. So it just really kind of depends on um, what your approach would be. But from a resource management standpoint, uh, getting it into, again, Overlake might be a difficult, but maybe in the, the bigger pictures that we have with the downtown and Mary Morton citywide, we can take a look at that or as a separate uh, follow-up project. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I guess for my part, um, we've, we've established and agreed that what we're moving forward with it will not prohibit the development of the housing that we desperately need and to the extent that that housing can be as best as it can for whomever um, doesn't yet know that they're going to live there. Uh, that would be a direction that I'm certainly interested in as we go on to the next pieces. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Anderson. Thank you, and I, I'm reading through the questions um, on the matrix for council number th three from Ms. Stewart and uh, four from Ms. Stewart, as well as 4B, which was supported by a couple other folks. Um, just was wondering if I could get a page number or some sort of, uh, for the document with the fee and lieu changes proposed in it. And I'd be happy for a follow-up email. It's shown partly in here, but I wanted the full context, if that's okay. I will look up the page number for you. Thank you. Not really sure which document it specifically is in, so thank you. Thank you. Are there other questions from the council? 
Councilmember Nueva Camina. Thank you. Mine is um, another kind of stakeholder question, and that's around going to 100% electric. I know that we've already you know, started doing this. We're looking at the optional techniques, um, one of them being energy storage. Uh, there was a concern that was brought to me um, by a resident in downtown about how we're starting to see flex events, um, optional flex events from PSC, and questioning the infrastructure being able to manage the load that we're going to be putting on there. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what that energy storage um, technique is working to kind of incentivize and address, right, is to make a more flexible and kind of um, advanced grid that can pull from, you know, different um, energy sources. So if we can incentivize buildings that have that flexibility built in, that's exactly what we want to see. So we can continue to add more electricity or demand to the electricity grid and move away from the natural gas. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Other questions? All right, I'll ask one more, um, and it's on one of your appendix slides since, since we have a moment before we close this out. I do think a couple council members had asked for us to just have a conversation around the vision for the intercultural district. Um, and I'm just wondering if you could spend a minute or two sharing, especially with our public, about um, the vision there and, uh, and how we think about the policies we're putting in place and how that, that will get developed. Yeah, we've provided a lot of information in your packet to give you some background information with that. Um, I hope that was helpful. The, the intent for the intercultural district was to combine a number of different goals into one tool, right? Uh, we needed a mechanism to help uh, differentiate this area, placemaking standpoint, and honoring the cultures of that particular area as it is today, how do we keep that as a part of the neighborhood moving forward? Um, and so that was just one strategy and tool for that. Also, um, the business displacement, how do we create a place that we can then use and tack on incentives and, and that type of thing? And so creating a space for that gives us a mechanism to tie in bonuses and incentives to it. Um, but the intention for this package is to just start that and to really initiate that conversation. We have built in uh, to the incentive program some beats, bits and pieces <laughs> that are reflective of starting that off, but we do intend for it to be something that grows over time because from a resource management standpoint, uh, we just didn't have the time to fully cultivate it, right? There needs to have a lot more conversations uh, on what that would look like. Um, the Arts and Cultural Commission um, is one that we're um, put in the code as a recommending body to the Planning Commission of different ideas on how we could incentivize and give points and to build that over time. Um, and then we do anticipate the economic development work that's coming out of Philly and some of the One Red Room partnerships might also take advantage of that as well. Um, the intention is to actually develop something physically that people see as they drive in or walk in or just somehow enter the space <laughs> that it feels different. And it really is something that is a part of what makes the Overlake Village unique is that it becomes a part of the arts, maybe the signage, maybe a part of the building features, not necessarily stuck in any one particular culture or any one particular time. It, it could be modern architecture from wherever it might be, but just to allow the different cultures that are represented in our community to have a physical representation of the community. Um, 
and whatever that might look like will evolve over time because our cultures will change over time. Um, and so it's not intended to get plugged into any one particular thing. We did hear a lot of comments from the community about not wanting to make sure that this is the only place uh, that this is happening. And we do want to acknowledge that. Uh, we have creating in this code a placeholder for other cultural districts to take place. We might want to do one in Marymore or in other places around town. Um, but allowing us to do this in this way in Overlake, again, allows us to tie it into the incentive program. It allows us to tie it into the anti-displacement programming um, and allows us to tie into those other bits and pieces to help create a cohesive whole uh, with the intent of making sure that as we redevelop this area, those businesses that are such a part of the area have a way to stay in that community. Um, that's one of the primary focuses there of, of what the work that we're doing today, uh, while it will, it will evolve over time. Great, thank you, and 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 I do see within the incentives that you know there are specific incentives for the intercultural district. I guess yeah, some some of what I'm interested in is when we set this vision and then we set these incentives is being clear because I think we have the opportunity here to kind of intentionally design a little around our built environment and make sure we bring our community with us. Because I know, I, I think, I can't remember which one of the many documents you provided. We talked about, um, you know, looking at, at other examples such as like the Chinatown International District in, in Seattle or, you know, other other places where there has been a real intentional design and engagement with community-based mm -hmm. organizations um, along with something like Arts and Culture Commission right. to kind of think about what would this space really look like? What what would um, the streets and you know the the art and all these pieces? Because I think we're building the blocks in here to incentivize um, development to add some of that, and then there'll be probably a piece that we do as a city. Um, so mm -hmm. that'll be work to do together. But I guess um, I just wonder how much the role within our planning it is to be um, slightly more prescriptive, so we get the outcomes that we want. Um, yeah, the conversation really early on was to not initiate it with prescription um, and initiate it just in such a way that it allows um, a couple of years of conversations with the community through the Arts and Culture Commission or whatever venue the council choose to move forward to really have in-depth conversations with the community about what that should look like um, because we don't have the resources with Redmond 2050 to deep dive into that level of specificity right here, right now. Um, and so the, the decision was made to keep it very light touch and very, we're establishing this as a process and then we're establishing the Arts and Culture Commission as a recommending body to help keep that moving. And I've had a number of conversations with them um, about that, and they're actually pretty excited about the, the possibility of making some recommendations on how to make this a reality and move it forward. I don't think anything that we're doing in this package will make this happen if other things don't happen. Um, but we are, we're setting the framework so that other actions could come together to build this district. Great. Well, I will just say this is great work. I'm excited it's in here. And once we set the vision, excited for the work ahead to, to build the vision. So um, question from Councilmember Stewart. Yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge, thank you so much for the conversation, Council President Kritzer. And one of the things that I got really excited about listening to the response is unlike the past few years and the years leading up, the years of work leading up to the moment where we are right now in, in 2050 uh, and the comp plan, 
unlike the the past, what what will be true about the future? We just heard from Director Holland that you know, three thousand new homes are in the works. There are hundreds of more people who lived in Overlake live in Overlake today than there were five years ago. So, um, the difference is we're going to have a lot of neighbors eager to engage and help help build that next era for their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think that that's really exciting and something that I'm okay being patient for a couple of years on um, to make sure that we can have folks really engaged in that process. And um, Becky, I heard you mention twice, you know, the resource management and the workload of it all. Thank you all. You all have been on this for again years. Um, as we wind down here to the end of the year and adoption of the comp plan. So thank you. Council Vice President Forsyth. Thanks. Um, just being mindful of time, I wanted to make sure I didn't miss my opportunity to speak to the design section. Should I ask those questions now or? or I, um, I have a suggestion. Sure. I know that we are mindful of time at this point. Um, why don't you send those to, to us? Uh, what we'll do is, since there were some open questions this evening and an issue matrix, I know Jeff has one answer on the page number right now and then can follow up with kind of what we believe is next steps and the date for a, another um, engagement on these topics. Great. So the information about Fee and Lou and alternative compliance is on page 79 of the Planning Commission report on the housing topic. I put a link to that in the chat, but it was what was sent to you by email in late January and it was part of the February 6th packet for anyone online who might be looking for it. Uh, but page 79 of that Planning Commission report. And then going forward, um, so there's more conversation to be had on this. We have a, we kind of have an if needed study session on May 28th, which feels like a long time from now, but probably isn't really. And so we can plan to bring this conversation back then unless we find time earlier, if we wrap up other conversations sooner than that. Uh, specific to design, if there is content in the uh, in the overlay policies or code about design, please send the questions to Carol right away. Um, we will have the opportunity to take a look at the whole community design element later in the year, I think in the summer. Um, so that, that whole topic of community design is coming back. Um, for its own dedicated study session later in the year. Does that work for you, Council Vice President Forsyth? It does. I do have two quick comments, if I may. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, just one quick comment was on the um, the blank wall public pu public art section. It says public art, but it doesn't necessarily, it says art, but it doesn't necessarily say public art. So I don't know if that could tie into the Arts and Culture Commission um, or not, or if it could be could you Up, above and beyond what the public are. Yeah, if, if you could send in an email that specific citation for me, I'll be happy to look into that. Got it. I will do. And then just a general comment on the ADA focus and inclusive design focus. I really, really want to applaud you all for the massive efforts on this. I know that um, we are breaking ground here on some new territories. And Becky, I saw your post on uh, LinkedIn and it was really exciting to see that you were sharing this out with other communities and presenting to other um, other places on this topic. And I just wanna say I'm really proud of us for doing this work. I know uh, this is a conversation that's near and dear to my heart. I think most of you know that. Um, and I've had conversations at the state level about working with builders and making sure that these things are implemented in advance because it would be more equitable for people that are trying to age and yeah. people who have those mobility needs. And I've even heard of people that have tried to get things added and builders won't do it. Um, so just for us to be on the cutting edge of this is really exciting. So just massive, massive thank you. 
Um, I will also let you know that one of the things that we're trying to do to help get over that hump is I'm working with the Northwest Universal Design Council. We're trying to put together a bunch of resources to help answer that cost question so that the developers have all the information in there to realize that it's a couple hundred bucks here and there, you know, is, it's not something that is a significant cost increase. Yeah. Um, and we, we're hoping that providing those resources will also help us implement those changes faster. Um, so. Thank you. Thank you, and and thank you all. This is is just exciting work, and um, it's really cool to see as we've been working on this now for several years. The comments we've given previously showing up as as it evolves, and especially in these incentives, I think, and and also the green building standards. Um, just I, I really see a lot of the feedback that we've given incorporated in the kind of honing with community input is just really wonderful. So thank you all very much. And with that, I think we'll close this item out and make sure that we come back to the council for more discussion on it going forward. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and we have two media items coming up. Uh, let's take a five minute recess and then we will dive in on all things finance.
And we're back. Um, the next item on the agenda is the Capital Program 2023 year-end highlights and a 2024 look ahead. Presenting this item is Vanjie Garcia, Deputy Public Works Director. Good evening, can you hear me? Okay. Good evening, Council. Um, today, um, I'm, I'm Vanjie Garcia, the Deputy Director in Public Works for Infrastructure and Mobility. Today, I am accompanied by the Acting Manager of Capital Division, Steve Gibbs, and the Capital Projects Planner, Tess Wilkinson. As you know, Capital Division is responsible for leading the design and construction of all major projects of the city's capital investment program, otherwise known as the CIP. Later this year, during the budget conversations, we will be discussing the CIP in terms of the functional portfolios of general government or facilities, parks, transportation, water, wastewater, and stormwater. Tonight, we will provide a brief recap of what the Capital Division has accomplished in 2023 and a look forward to what you should expect in the year forward. Good evening, Council. Um, I'm again, Steve Gibbs in the Capital Division. Um, I thank you for having this opportunity to go over our highlights from 2023 and uh, kind of a look ahead and what we're working on this year. Um, so uh, the slide we got here is the kind of our, our stat, stats for the year in 2023. Um, we worked on 31 projects. Typically, we would work on anywhere from 30 to 40 projects in a year, depending on scope and scale of the projects. Uh, I'm not going to go through every line here, but uh, just a, a highlight, uh, 13 projects substantially completed. Uh, that's, a, that's a good year for us. Uh, it w generally, we would see anywhere from 10 to 15 projects completed in a year. Um, some of the pictures there, you might recognize the one up top. Um, that's uh, the Senior Center. Um, Eric's doing a great job. We're marching toward uh, substantial completion at the end of March. And we just received word that we were um, awarded um, kind of the first ever lead um, in lead history. Uh, it's called a climate resilient wood structure. And so uh, that was kind of exciting news for the team. Um, we just got that uh, the other day. Um, some of the other pictures there is the, uh, in the middle there is the Northeast 40th water quality facility. And uh, that's kind of a unique uh, structure. It's, uh, it's called a leaf filter. It's kind of shaped like a leaf, uh, <laughs> hence the name. And um, it was uh, heavily uh, funded by uh, a grant from the Department of Ecology. Uh, they just recently, or in the last few years, have approved this type of water quality feature. And, and then so they, they uh, gave us a grant and then Microsoft also participated through the CFD on that project. Um, it was a challenging project for the team, um, mainly because of the contractor. And um, I, I thought our team did a fantastic job of pulling that job to the finish line. And um, it, it turned on and it is, is operating and, and working well. And then the bottom picture is the, um, is the canopy on the RTS bridge. And um, that was also a, a partnership with Microsoft. It's, it's, it's not technically a city project, but it will become a city asset upon completion. And so we've been um, embedded in the design and construction process throughout. I just went back and looked at my notes 
and my first meeting on that project was in 2012. So we've been, we've been uh, working on that quite a while and uh, it's, it's gonna be ready to open here uh, in this, uh, later in the spring. So we'll go ahead and move to the, to the next slide. So some of the projects uh, completed in 2023, like I said before, is a total of 13. Um, this kind of gives you a great idea of kind of our portfolio of projects. We, we've got a, 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 a couple of storm projects with the 90th pond retrofit and the 40th water quality that I just mentioned. Um, it's, uh, we have sewer projects in the lift stations. Uh, we have a, a water project in the PRVs, a couple of facility projects with the, the, uh, the MOC plumbing and ADA and also the Motley Zoo demo. Um, we have some transportation projects and also some traffic operation and safety projects. And which is, is very typical for us. We have uh, projects coming us from across all, most of the departments in the city. And so we have quite a wide range of projects that we deliver. So uh, <clears throat> one of the projects we wanted to highlight, uh, I, I know you, you saw this recently, Lift Station 13. I won't reiterate all this, the uh, points on the slide. Uh, the picture is, um, is the caisson, which is the, the base for the lift station. This project was basically two phases, the, the lift station itself, and then the, the force main and gravity sewer in the street adjacent, hooking up to the Metro connection. Um, the challenging part was uh, the soils uh, were, were quite loose. Um, the trenches were very deep, and then the water uh, level uh, was quite high. So the contractor had uh, quite a difficult time getting the, the pipe and force main installations in in the road. And so we had to actually shut down for a year and wait for the water level to drop down to finish the project. Um, the team did a great job uh, of doing it. It's, it's uh, probably the biggest lift station that we've constructed to date. And it was really, uh, it started as a, a smaller retrofit project, and then when the growth um, came through with this, the sound transit station and the upzoning. Um, it was increased in size to handle that capacity so that it is all set up and ready for all those new buildings coming online. Um, yeah, I think that's all on that one. And then just some, some other key highlights in 2023. Um, projects that we, you probably haven't heard much about. Uh, we've been working on this project management software. Um, we spent quite a bit of time um, evaluating uh, RFPs and vendors this past year. We have selected a vendor, it's Argo, and we have just begun uh, process mapping for that. Uh, that effort will continue for quite some time with implementation um, probably starting later this year and then and going well into next year. Um, another uh, project that, let's see, uh, another project that you, you've heard of is uh, the MOC master plan. We worked on that quite a bit last year. It's continuing into this year. Um, we've uh, basically did a lot of studies and now we're refining the space needs for the building. And um, we'll, we'll be coming up with kind of a conceptual layout and Director Bird will probably be bringing that to you in June, July this year to um, show kind of a, a, a final layout and kind of a path forward for design to start. Um, the, the last thing I, I'd like to bring up on this slide was um, 
we had three senior project managers retire at the end of last year. Uh, it was over 100 years of experience. And um, as I was uh, reviewing each project manager's portfolio on the, the number of projects that they had completed in their time here, um, it's really amazing kind of the, the, uh, the lasting imprint that some of our projects have. And uh, so uh, Bassam, uh, just for a couple of projects, the 520 bike uh, tunnel, um, he worked on that. He also worked, uh, got the 152nd uh, streetscape project started. Um, Joe O'Leary, um, he finished up uh, on several uh, fire station retrofits. Uh, he also did the, the, the large overlake vault at the Sears property several years ago. And then finally, Lisa Singer um, did most of the projects uh, downtown, plus an, a, a lot of other projects in 30 years. Um, but uh, downtown especially, uh, 161st, Bear Creek Parkway, downtown park, couple of conversion. Um, we were thinking of putting a graphic up and putting Lisa's face on all of her projects, but she would have blotted out all of downtown, so that, that didn't really quite work out. So, but um, just uh, a lot of great work and, and, and some really great people. Uh, they'll, they'll definitely be missed, um, and we are right in the middle of a hiring process to start filling those positions. So uh, we have actually some interviews tomorrow to finish that up. So uh, with that, um, there is, a, there is a mention of a, a realignment in the capital division, and, and I'll kind of turn that over to Vanjie to highlight that a little bit. So Public Works has gone undergone a bit of a reorganization for the last year. And so just to give a little bit of overview, under the umbrella of infrastructure and mobility, the divisions are traffic operations and safety engineering, streets and fleet maintenance, and the capital projects division. So this looks like the organization. Um, we are in the process of hiring the new project managers to fill the spots of the, the retirees. Um, and we've taken this opportunity to look for ways of improving capital project delivery. Um, TESS is in the green area of um, the program planning and administration and coordination. Um, Tess is helping out, you know, with her new role, um, with the helping with the CIP, um, helping with the projects, um, keeping it going with the budget and um, helping with the CIP every two years, but also with the functional area managers um, and keeping with projects going. Um, we have two, two teams of project managers now. Um, with the two supervisors with the project managers and they are better aligned with one team um, helping with implement the less complex programmatic projects um, and traffic safety improvements, pavement management and sidewalk rehabilitation projects and also implementing our TBD projects. Um, and then we have the other team um, with the more complex projects. These will likely be still our grant funded projects and these are probably the larger um, project budgets. Okay, back to me. So uh, just to highlight uh, uh, a project that we're working on currently right now, uh, the Northeast 70th Street project. Um, is over by the new uh, light rail station in um, uh, Miramore Village. And it's, it's kind of a, a final uh, road connection 
and completing the road network in that area. Um, it's a, a key bike ped connection that's gonna lead to the new transit center. And um, right now, it's, it, and it's also a, a, under a FHWA a federal grant. And so the, it's, it's a little bit delayed and really it's, it's due to the property acquisition. We have to buy half of the roadway from the adjacent property owner. Um, and uh, he, he's, um, he's hired a, a well-versed appraiser and so we've been battling back and forth on the, the cost of the land. And, and so really that's what's contributing to the delay and the extra costs. Um, we hope to have that thing wrapped up later this spring and advertise and be able to start construction this summer. Good evening. They gave me a single slide so I wouldn't feel left out on this presentation. <laughs> So this year we're looking forward to starting construction on nine new projects and this is going to be in addition to the five that are going to continue their construction rolling into this year. One of the projects that we are uh, wrapping up and it will be coming before you in the next quarter or two for acceptance is the wastewater lift station equipment upgrades phase one. One of the things I need to put in my work plan is to come up with smaller project titles. Those are very long. But regardless of its large uh, project name, this project repaired or replaced and upgraded some vital components in five of our lift stations. Um, as you may know, the city has 22 of them and we are working rapidly to try and uh, enhance, repair, replace and maintain these vital parts of the city's infrastructure. Uh, as you may have seen in your project list handout, uh, this spring we will begin design of phase two of the wastewater lift station equipment upgrades. And um, I think it's yeah here in the, in the project starting section. This project uh, was going to be working on four additional lift stations in the city and then also up on Novelty Hill. Construction work is not our only uh, priority and the thing that we'll be focusing on next year. So at this point, I get to turn it back to Vanjie, <laughs> keep it short and sweet, and she will be talking about um, our priorities for 2024. Thank you, Tess. Well, Tess is actually our, you know, our <laughs> important person uh, with the budget coming up. She will be our, she's actually our circus um, ringleader ring for <laughs> um, managing all the projects that will be coming for, forward to you on our CIP. Um, we are continuing our downtown support for the DRLE and um, then we will, once we hire the new staff of recruitments, we will continue on improving our capital project delivery and so you will be seeing us often and anytime you want to have, um, we will actually establish our quarterly progress reports um, so you will know when each phase for each project um, and know what's going on for all the projects. So with that, we are open to questions. Thank you very much. Are there questions from the council? Council Vice President Forsyth. Thank you. Um, you had mentioned the 70th Street connection and the property acquisition. I remember us voting on that a while back. Can you let us know if, will that come back to council because of that 
those negotiations. Um, just that kind of set off a little flag for me when you were mentioning that. Yes, we'll need to come back, um, d depending on how the negotiations settle out, and then we'll have a, a final number that will need to come back and get you to approve. Okay, and is that on the south side of the property or the north side? The acquisition is, um, I would call that... Towards Sammamish or towards Redmond? Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so we maybe missed a little piece of land in that first Well, easement. we were able to... the, the the uh, hotel on the what I would call the west side yeah. it, uh, dedicated half of the roadway, and so that that was um, that was now ours. And then um, we needed to secure the the east half. Okay. Through this project. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member Stewart. Thank you so much, and um, Deputy Director Garcia. It's awesome to see you in this new role, and I really appreciate where you. Um, where you left off and I maybe want to pick up there. So I'm really grateful that we're going to have CIP, um, I believe you said quarterly reports back on the schedule. I think that's really important. Um, a couple of the things that I, um, a few pieces of feedback, I guess, for future updates. Um, from, from the update in this format, uh, and, and I think the format of the updates and the timeliness of the updates has been in flux as you all have rebuilt your team and I can definitely appreciate that. A couple of things on my mind as we move forward. I really appreciated um, in the re prior reports that we used to get from John Spangler, it doesn't have to be the red light, green light, <laughs> yellow light. It doesn't have to be that. If you prefer to use you know, the list here um, like you've done in this report, I, I think that's fine too. What we the council need to to be able to spot so that we can know that we're doing our jobs well is what is what's on schedule what's not on schedule what's on track in terms of budget what's not on track in terms of budget we last had a cip update in september and then we had a vote that none of us really enjoyed taking last week on a, a, a major cost overrun um, so we need to be able to see that information earlier um, and, and so those are a few of the things that I would be looking at. And since we had an update today with some of the things that are, are going well and even some of the projects that we've heard about more frequently, um, in fact, Mr. Gibbs, we actually have three council members who serve on the community facility districts board. So we've been sharing those updates about some of those projects too. I just wanted to take a chance to ask, is there anything off track that we should know about? Um, and, and financially, I know we don't have, we're not looking at finances today, um, but if, if there's anything you'd like to tell us about the state of the, the CIP program at the moment. Actually, that's the reason why we brought up 70th today. And, uh, you know, Tess, Steve, and who's not here today, Betsy, we heard you um, from a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so that's the reason why we said uh, we wanted to say that we were working on the quarterly, um, developing quarterly uh, report. So I think it's important to know which projects are in design and which projects are in construction. So, you know, um, we've just been working on the, the format um, so it's concise and so you know the important factors um, for you all. Definitely, and so I, I can appreciate that the categorization here, maybe another column then about like, according to when we adopted in the budget, it would have been in this stage mm -hmm. so that it's off, we can, we can uh, flag that. Okay, thank you so much.
Thank you, and, and I'll just follow up on that uh, to echo that I did really appreciate the red, yellow, green. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it, red, yellow, yes, those are the colors. Uh, I, d I did appreciate that, and um, and maybe even in this list, just to be able to know like percentage complete or um, you know uh, also projected by end of biennium. So getting those those top line numbers of kind of where we're at, given that we're over halfway through the biennium now, so um, getting a sense of that would be very helpful. Thank you, Tess. Um, would you like to give a little bit how we're we're drafting that quarterly? We we we've been working on it. We have been. Um, before our recent uh, reorganization, we used to do a monthly uh, capital projects, you know, update to, to staff and to everybody. And one of the things we would put on there is a lot of that red light, green light status report. So um, I have been resurrecting that, giving it a, a quick refresh, bringing it more up to date with what would be... Um, a little uh, being able to spot where the project is quicker and faster on that um, and then with now with the apprenticeship uh, goals the ordinance that was just passed um, I'm trying to think of a way to roll some of that into there as well so that we don't you can get information from us on all of our projects and on that at, at one quick stop and we don't have to keep coming back to you and going okay now this month we're going to tell you about the projects and this month we're going to tell you about the utilization and stuff we want to be mindful of your time and and, and your focus on stuff um, I think that the the redesign that we have on these projects uh, at a, a project level is good but I'm curious to know if you would rather see it as on a more programmatic portfolio level, if that would be of more interest to you so that you know that um, on the whole, our transportation projects are, are on budget and on time, or if we are lagging behind, say, on um, on a waste on wastewater as a program because of uh, maybe, you know, Station 13 and the delay that we had due to the, the water table, those kinds of things. I think from my perspective, getting some all up plus the the deep dive into each one would be helpful because I think it is helpful to know if you give us the all up then we'll say which project is the one that's putting that behind uh, but it's a, but it is helpful to know in certain areas how is it going um, and I will note that I think one thing that jumps out to me out of all this is the uh, amount of really great projects that are getting completed and online that we're community is seeing so um, Councilmember Salahuddin. Yeah, thank you. And uh, just want to shout out Deputy Director Garcia for um, giving me a tour uh, of the public works, um, some of the facilities, and uh, really appreciative of this presentation as well. To, and um, echoing Council President Kritzer, it's really nice to see, you know, 13 projects completed uh, and, you know, on average 10 to 15. It, it's, it's good to see projects that are finalized. And so moving forward, uh, would love to, I think, I mean, having not seen that red, yellow, green, would love to see that um, that timeline as well. Uh, I have a quick question on the programmatic and small works projects. Um, just a small um, few lines at the bottom of the, the full project page, but would love to see um, what those projects are, especially with a lot of them being ADA-focused improvements, uh, and would be interested in seeing where across the city those are, those are happening. Yeah, we, it was just hard to put it on the line because um, <laughs> they're very spread out so that's and the when Tess and I were talking about it, it was the, the design starts are varied so that's why um in in the the bid um so Steve is working on um 
when because they're small, um, they'd be if we when we have our TBD crew and our concrete crew, that we'd be sometimes be doing it ourselves, so we wouldn't necessarily have a bid out, and we'd be doing it. So, thank you. Other questions? All right, seeing none. Um, we'll say thank you, and we'll look forward to you coming back soon for that quarterly report. Thank you. Red, yellow, green. All right. <laughs> the next item on the agenda is the 2023 fourth quarter financial review, 2025 to 2026 preliminary forecast and budget process update. And Kelly Cochran, our finance director, will introduce this item. We'll let her get set, set down for a second here. When you're ready, Director Cochran. Good evening, thank you um, for having us uh, tonight. I will try to go um, as quickly, but as um, concisely as we need to um, through the materials. A lot of this is really information that I want to um, present to you to either help create um, some connections for you if you are new to the process, new to budgeting by priorities. I've put some information in there to help you start to make some connections as we move through. Also, a lot of the financial uh, results as well as the forecast information um, will continue to evolve. So what we're seeing tonight is really the beginning of our forecast and we will be working throughout this year um, on the refinement of that going forward. Um, so tonight I want to just provide um, some high-level overview of the budget process again just to provide you with some context um, for uh, what it is that we do. Um, we'll go over financial performance and preliminary forecast really for um, the general fund, CIP, water, wastewater, some of our more primary funds. A lot of the assumptions that we're making will hold true in the smaller funds um, as well. And then I'd like to follow up on the conversation that we started at FAC about um, putting together a process for council that is um, clear and efficient. So I've put a proposal together and then we can talk our way through um, that and any edits. So um, first slide, this is just a very high level overview of what goes on in the budget process when. Um, it just provides you an update of what's happening um, at the staff level, what's happening in the, at the community level um, throughout the process. So just something for you to refer back to. Um, plan to provide more information on budgeting by priorities at the um, March uh, 12th FAC meeting. 
The, um, to give you an idea of the size of the budget, this is our first billion dollar budget, so we passed a pretty significant milestone. It is allocated by um, budget priority, so I've provided you some information of what that looks like when you um, apply the breakdown to the total budget. Also, when you just narrow it down to the operating funds between ongoing and one time, essentially half of the budget um, breaks down into operating. I've provided the following slides to give you um, information on what we mean when we say um, priorities. This is what we call an outcome map. It is something that shows you for our, our first budgeting um, budget priority, which is healthy and sustainable. In the top right-hand corner, you see the community's value statement. This, was, this is work that was put together um, with input from the community uh, via focus groups, uh, questionnaires, uh, community uh, survey, things like that over the years. So they have a value statement and then some outcomes that are expressed. Underneath that, you'll see the budget offers and which primary outcome they roll up to. It is very likely that a budget offer could roll up to a variety of different outcomes, but we ask to point it to the one that is strongest. And then underneath that, you can see the dashboard measure or indicator that helps us um, communicate what's going on uh, with our progress towards that outcome, as well as monitor it. And underneath that, there is a lot of programmatic measures that departments use to um, help monitor even smaller changes within their pro programs. Um, so that is the alignment that we have in each of the priorities. We have healthy and sustainable, safe and resilient, strategic and responsive, and vibrant and connected. So just to provide you kind of some background of budget offers, the alignments that we're looking for. Okay, so diving into the fun stuff. So um, this is an already outdated um, graph. This is the beginning of our uh, forecasting for the general fund. Uh, as we continue to work through the forecast, both on the revenue side and the expenditure side, it, is, it will ebb and flow. We knew that we would start this biennium with a gap. We knew so when we funded um, the uh, needed portion of the public safety levy. We also knew that when we funded some one-time things, um, I mean, excuse me, some ongoing things with one-time money, really in a way to try to come up with some different uh, solutions um, during the biennium. So you heard uh, Director Hamilton earlier today speaking about um, vegetation management. That was really about, you know, how do we reduce some of the costs um, for our right-of-way maintenance and, and create something that's more sustainable. But those choices did um, uh, create a gap for us um, in the beginning of this biennium. And so we'll be working um, to close that as we go along. On the, um, on the revenue side, I've given you uh, a graph here that shows you the makeup of the funding sources within um, the general fund, as well as the performance that we've seen for 2023. Um, and as you can see, it's been um, a very good year for us um, in the um, general fund. And I'll break down um, the results by uh, some of our major funding sources. Um, 
some of the things that I want to share with you as we go into this, um, I feel really confident about our existing uh, revenue sources. Performance this year has been um, really good, although we have seen some decreases in um, some of our funding sources that we'll walk through. It's not something that I am concerned about or indicates that there is um, something that we didn't plan for. So feeling good about um, where we are with that. Reserves and contingencies are still fairly um, in place. The only one that we are really um, at risk of running out of is the body-worn cameras. That will, uh, the funding for that will run out in 2025. So uh, we'll need to absorb that um, somehow. We um, do already have um, some new revenues identified that council um, has provided some input on as well as the work that we've done to reset um, our cost recovery, whether it is through fees that we've set or indirect costs that we allocate from the general fund to other funds. There is definitely some uncertainty. These numbers are not final. Year-end um, work is still in progress, so we may see some changes there. The economy has been um, a topic of conversation. Um, I, who knows? We'll see. Um, we certainly have a big change coming into our community with sound transit arriving and what that means to operationalize it, um, both on the expenditure side and what it means to our revenues. Um, we are yet to truly understand. And as part of our whole um, budget process this year, um, as we've expressed to council, we are on a journey to um, find new revenue sources for um, the city. And I believe many of you are going to be participating in um, that work with us. So not only are we looking for new revenues, but we're also looking within um, the structures that we have in place, um, the funding sources that we currently have to make sure that we're utilizing them um, to the best of our ability. The new revenues that you see up on this list is just um, an example of some, there are quite a few others that um, that we're looking into and certainly more to come through this year. Um, the first revenue source that we'll dig into is uh, sales tax. Um, sales tax, ongoing sales tax for um, the first time this year is above uh, where we were pre-pandemic. Um, that is aside from um, the six and a half million that we added. So. Council will notice that um, there is a decrease in one time and an increase in ongoing. Part of that is a shift that we made in the last budget process to recognize 6.5 million of sales tax on construction that is typically one time as ongoing. That will be um, in place going forward and so that is recognized um, in that shift. We are still waiting for um, year end numbers. Um, but so far are seeing very positive results and expect that to continue into the next biennium, at least when it comes to the ongoing. We've done quite a bit of analysis on our one-time sales tax. It really uh, was boosted when uh, Sound Transit uh, construction started, as well as the Microsoft refresh. Um, we were just sort of, when is it going to end? So we've done a lot of analysis on the vendors that have been paying into that sales tax on construction. We feel confident that we'll see some um, material uh, uh, ongoing, um, or excuse me, one-time uh, sales tax going into 25 and 26, and we'll probably start to see it taper after that. 
Part of it is certainly um, dependent on the pipeline of other development projects, but Sam Transit and Microsoft have been big contributors to the dollars we've seen. Um, property tax is um, much easier for us to um, predict. We uh, set it uh, with council each year when we receive um, notification of what our assessed values are going to be. Um, at this point, um, we are seeing growth that is um, right around what we have projected. Uh, we do see the sale or the, the property tax base growing as we are adding new construction to the tax roll. Um, assessed values have kind of taken a ride. They were down this um, less last year, but we still collected more, more revenue because of the growth that we've seen. This is the revenue source that provides funding for the public safety levy as well as um, a parks levy. We expect that um, we will have that public safety um, funding gap um, this biennium as well. The uh, forecast in um, front of you does include um, the assumption that um, we will uh, increase um, the property tax by the um, 1% as uh, usual. Utility taxes are very squirrely, um, very, very squirrely, hard to chase. Um, we have been seeing really good results the last couple of years. Really hard to tie that down um, to people returning to the work, uh, to the place of business or not. Um, so we continue to try to understand our utility taxes. These um, 2023 results are also an estimate. Um, it's possible that we could see actually a positive return here, been pretty conservative just because of the um, fluctuation in this revenue source, but it's possible that we will see a more positive number for 2023, which then will lead over into the rest of the forecast. Um, the key factors, um, we really continue to, those to remain um, in place. Um, some of the utility taxes are, um, the use of them are shrinking, but rates are going up from the carriers. Um, some people are, you know, moving away to um, streaming um, devices, and we have had um, that plan decline in place for a bit. One of the things I do want to make council aware of, though, is it's been quite a while since we've done um, a utility tax audit. And um, it's been on the work plan now that we have the ability to um, focus on other things other than D365. Finance Department is currently putting um, an RFP together to um, get a consultant going to help us um, do this audit, basically making sure that taxes um, owed to the city are being paid. Here you can see um, the breakdown of the utility taxes. It's really telephone and cable in the yellow and pink that you see start to um, really dwindle in the outer years. Development revenues, also a little bit squirrely. And although it looks like um, there's been a decline in the revenues, really um, it is due to timing more than anything else. We work very closely with the planning department to put um, these forecasts together. They do a great job of monitoring what is in the pipeline um, and what is coming. So a uh, pipeline of projects is um, still healthy. Some um, projects are on pause, um, but have not been pulled. And really the reasons um, is the cost of projects um, or I don't know, other things that the 
perhaps they haven't told us, but um, no expectation at this point that um, projects will drop off, but we continue to um, meet with uh, development services. Um, this is an area where I think our revenues will be stronger than they've been. We've just updated all of our fees to full cost recovery, um, and that should help us um, going forward as well. Our business license fee, this is one area when I say um, we are looking at our existing revenues as well as new revenues to try to determine what is the best path for the city. Um, certainly we are looking at head tax versus um, a, uh, the business license fee. Is that an option for the city? Um, we are working with a consultant to help us um, put that analysis together. In the meantime, the current focus or the current forecast assumes that um, the structure that we have in place will um, be in place at least in the beginning of um, the next biennium. Assuming that we will be making um, the annual CPI adjustments that we do now. Also assuming that um, a true up um, of the fee will be um, done as well. So when we set the business license fee during the budget process, we typically set it for two years, estimating what we believe um, CPI will be in the following year. It's been a number of years since we've done a true up. Um, to do one now would increase the fee by 9% um, off the off the bat. So just want to share that with council. So if you have any reservations about that, we I can back away from that assumption. But at this point, um, it really would help to know. Adam, yes. My only comment is that it picked up true up as Trump. Oh, so well, there we go. That. We're going to Trump up. We'll change that. Thank you. You're welcome. Good stuff. Okay. So I have um, Haritha Nara here with me. Haritha is our financial planning manager, and I know many of you are familiar with her. She's been doing um, a lot of work on the expenditure side of things, and she's here to share with you um, how things are looking on that right now. Is the green? Okay. I don't see the green here, but um, good evening, council members. Thank you, Kelly. Um, as you can see in this slide, uh, we are showing our biennial budget at $282 million for the general fund expenditures, and this pie chart basically shows you expenditures by, uh, by expense type. Um, as you can see, our general fund expenditures, or most of our expenditures, the biggest chunk is salary and benefits. So any changes to the salary and benefits would impact significantly to our budget. Um, and the next would be our interfund transfers, which is operating transfers to CIP and other funds, and also uh, our professional services, which is basically consulting services. This would give much more detail um, in um, terms of uh, how we are performing um, for the budget to actuals. This is giving uh, budget to actuals, actuals by department. Um, as you can see, this is a fourth quarter as of December 2023. We are about 50% spent. Um, our expense uh, expenditure spending rate is 50%, which is pretty much meeting with our um, budget target. 
Um, however, there are a couple departments which are a little over the budget, which is non-departmental and fire. Uh, non-departmental is about 10% over the budget, just because of the timing of the operating transfers that we do from um, uh, this particular account. And FIRE is over the budget uh, just by 1%, uh, and this is primarily because of the overtime. As Kelly mentioned earlier uh, about some of the certainty and uncertainty uh, on how we are um, predicting these uh, expenditures, she had mentioned about our one-time, uh, sorry, ongoing expenditures which are funded through one-time, and we have some settled contracts, especially fire, um, um, where the COLA rates have been have gone up, which would definitely impact our salaries and benefits, not just for this year but also in future. Years. Uh, also, we are aware of some of the costs um, that would increase our budget, which is jail costs, parking, and insurance rates, uh, and um, software subscriptions um, rates. Um, Again, as Kelly mentioned earlier, there is still some uncertainty because we are not yet um, done with our ERN for 2023. So the numbers that we are projecting right now is, uh, although we are um, confident, we are accurate, but still it will change. Um, the impacts, um, the, same, the same thing that is uncertain in the revenue section will also impact over here, which is the impacts of sound transit opening, so we don't know what expenditures we are going to face. Um, un, uh, union negotiations, which are not done yet, which we are expecting to be done either this year or next year, which will impact the COLA and other rate changes. Uh, and inflation and the funding to arts and events. Inflation is obviously so unpredictable, we don't know how much uh, we should be forecasting. Uh, we are doing our best to predict, um, you know, much more accurately based on the economy, but um, still, it's unpredictable. Um, next, uh, this particular slide, which shows our, basically a bar graph, which is showing our preliminary forecast of all expenditures by type. Um, again, I would like to pinpoint that, um, that these are all preliminary numbers. Uh, we are in a process of updating our, uh, or projecting our um, uh, positions cost for 25, 26, so that more accurate data will impact these graphs, either compressing or expanding any of these colors. I'll hand it, if you don't have any questions, I'll hand it over to Kelly. Thanks, I, um, March. I think I would know. Um, I think that by March FAC or April FAC, we'll have some really good numbers on um, salary and benefit costs. It's going really well so far. Um, looking at the CIP, um, things are looking um, very strong there as well. If you look at the 2023 numbers with everything except for impact fees, um, it is um, looking very well. Impact fees, we saw a pretty big drop. Um, research has been done with the planning department, and really this is where those projects on hold um, reside. So they are sort of sitting there hovering right at where um, those fees would be collected. So it's um, possible, probable, that we'll see some of that action um, this year. 
The um, water wastewater utility also um, is doing really well. This is a fund that we had our eyes on, um, especially during the pandemic. And um, we are seeing a very strong uh, growth um, and very good results for um, 2023. I wanted to just um, share with um, some of the newer council members that the utilities are something that we keep an eye on. Um, if you look at this graph, you can tell that expenditures outpace, reven or outpace revenues for a majority of the year until we really start seeing um, summer consumption. Um, we, are, we are in a watch and wait mode. Um, I share with anyone who starts with the city that will talk to me about utilities, and it's not very many people, but if you watch the grass outside, if it's dead, we're making money. As soon as it comes back in green, we're done for the season. It's true every, every year, um, but you can see, you know, revenue really um, follows demand, so. So that's what we have um, on the forecast. We are um, certainly making our way, seeing some positive results, but also seeing you know, some, some drivers there that are um, creating a gap for us, not only um, decisions that we made in the last budget, but some of the factors that we can't control. So working our best to narrow that down, um, and we'll keep communicating as we go with new information. Would you like to pause here and take some questions on this before we move to the next topic? Yeah. Great. Um, council members, do you have any questions? Council Vice President Forsyth. Thank you. So we often talk about uh, the sales tax and how we're planning for the sales tax money that comes in. And one thing that I bring up with some regularity is um, how we're planning for the future of that sales tax to money to drop and how we will make up that difference because we rely on it quite heavily. So if you could just enlighten us a little bit more about how those processes are updating. So um, the way that we handle one-time sales taxes, um, typically it's not something that we budget for um, because we don't want to be reliant on one-time revenue for ongoing things. But it does create um, quite a bit of opportunity for us at the beginning of each budget um, cycle to um, provide additional opportunities to invest mostly in our capital investment program. And you're right, it's concerning to think that that may um, go away. So um, that is why we've done some pretty heavy work in um, isolating what we believe is the cause for the bump in sales tax that we've seen really since 2017, which is when Sound Transit and Microsoft uh, started 17-18 timeframe. I think um, from, from what we've seen, um, expectations is that uh, one-time sales tax will still hit probably around the 10 to $12 million mark um, going forward. So we'll be losing more like $6 million a year. So we'll still have some. It'll still be higher than it's been in the past, but um, we won't have the saver. Really appreciate that last piece of it because I don't think we've ever heard that part before where you're actually kind of guesstimating how much in the future we'll not be seeing. So I really appreciate that bit of extra info. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. Councilmember Stewart. Thank you, uh, Director Cochran. It's awesome to be working with you in this capacity. This time I can tell it's going to be really fun. Um, I had a question on the third slide just about the layout for the year. Uh, there was conversation this past weekend at the council retreat about the 
<laughs> That's okay. Uh, the one with the cute started. flags. Yeah, just yep. the layout of the year. Um, there was a conversation uh, this past weekend at the council retreat about the performance metrics that we use, um, and you showed us on the, the dashboard outcomes and whatnot. Um, I see that you have that mentioned in the third quarter here, uh, performance measures. Could you walk us through what will be done in that body of work this year and, and what won't be done? So um, if you, and I, I'll, I can send you materials if you'd like, but the, um, in the budget document, the, this slide that I showed you, hold on, this one, this is our outcome map. And on the back side of that, you'll see all the programmatic measures that roll up to um, the dashboard indicators and then the budget offers. So during um, the review of performance measures, we're doing two things. We're first of all collecting data for performance, um, for past performance. So we'll be collecting data for 2023. We've got financial re results, but what are the performance um, measure results that also contributed to, um, to the results or the outcomes that we saw? We're also making sure that they are the right measures. Do they need to be refreshed? Is it still valid? Did the data, do we have the data the way that we thought we would? Um, are we getting the results? So it's, it, we, we are not only looking at how did it go, but is this the right measure? Um, and we, at least for those that we use in the budget process, try to stick to those that are coming from accredited organizations or things that are really less subjective um, than surveys. Sometimes there's, it is what it is and it's the best way to measure, but um, try to stay out of subjective things. I think that's really helpful to hear. And so th there could be changes this year. Um, of all the, th the priorities and, and things that council's balancing, this wasn't the one where council wanted to spend the most amount of time. So I'm being very specific, like not to ask for more work and engagement with the council on this. But if you're already doing it, I would love a chance to hear back about the review of those outcomes and um, what changed and why. That w I think that might be helpful yeah. information if you're already doing that work. That's yeah, easy. actually, I, I would jump in here that I think what we might have come to at the council retreat was that we would we were going to direct uh, Councilmember Fields to put this on fact. So because I think what I've noticed in in the two budget processes that I've gone through is that those measures show up and then we say this isn't the time to discuss those measures. We should have dis we can discuss them at another time, but then we don't always make that time for the council to discuss them and to say how do these measures look to us as well? So I think just having a touch point at FAC would be be great. The first thing I'll do is share with you sort of um, the whole book of measures for each um, priority so you can see that alignment and start looking at that um, and be ready for the conversation. Thank you. Did you have another question, Councilmember Stewart? Just a, a comment and almost, and thank you, Director Cochran and Council President Kritzer for remembering what we decided to do with that item. Yeah, it was a long day. Um, on slide number nine, I just wanted to leave space, especially for our new council members. Um, there's a lot about being in this role that is optional. There's some that is um, absolutely fundamental and being the 
fiduciary body for the city is one of them. So um, this is really important. That's why um, many of us spoke up about the interest in um, needing to, to find a new solution to, to fund a big piece of our budget that currently sits in a levy um, that is no longer functioning the way that it needs to. So just wanted to leave a little bit of space if anyone has a question on that, but otherwise, um, thank you. Well, Are there other questions from the council? Okay, well, I'll, I'll jump in for a second. I'm just following up on one other item that came up during our council retreat that I just wanted you to note for also following up, I think, during FAC for a touch as we're getting ready for the budget process is, um, whoops, as you as you noted on the, um, on financial review, uh, or on uh, different um, new revenue sources, I think there was a lot of interest from the council in being able to have a discussion on that earlier on, business license fee, for example, as you, you mentioned, um, truing that up, and then um, any other kind of potential sources you're thinking about. Um, I think that would be one to have, a, good to have a conversation on sooner than later. And I know we're about to get to the actual process, but um, just wanted to, to highlight that as well. Yeah, um, we will um, keep you updated on that analysis. And I know that the fire department has plans to bring forward um, some of their ideas to you um, soon this spring. So we'll get some of those conversations going. Great. And, uh, and to note on that, that we did also make the decision to allocate a couple council members to have offline conversations with staff about specifically the public safety funding. That's great. Um, all right. Well, let's move to the, the next items. And then if people off. come up with other thoughts, then uh, you can ask on, on the previous ones as well. Okay. So um, I just would like to make council aware that um, I am not just trying to um, focus on efficiency when it comes to the council process. Um, doing this across the board have made changes um, at the staff level, at the director's team level, just trying to be sensitive to the capacity um, that we have in the organization um, and um, the time that we put into this and try to capture the value. And I'm, I apologize that this is so small. Um, but I've divided um, my proposal into three different slides. So essentially um, the pre-work, the study sessions, and then FAC, um, what, I, um, what we will be bringing to council and when, and then um, we'll talk about deliberations. So um, the first study session, we are here tonight setting the stage, letting you know kind of what the financials look like, um, discussing budget process. And we'll finish these conversations um, FAC, um, probably then there's another study session that will discuss um, things later this year. Um, budgeting for equity is something new that we're doing this year. I'm very excited about it. I'm working on this um, with Jan Harrison. We'll be bringing um, materials to you in April, letting you know how um, budgeting for equity fits within our ready plan um, and how we are um, working to make sure that that alignment stays um, where it needs to, but allows us to get going on um, what I think is an important addition to our budget process. We added in the last um, cycle two study sessions on the CIP, and I'm proposing that those stay. They would happen in June and July. First is on um, general government. The other, the second is on utilities. It's where we share with you what the forecast looks like for those different business areas, discuss 
um, the projects that have been um, proposed and uh, have discussion with council about um, changes that need to be made. One of the things that I am proposing is after we have that discuss those discussions that if we could get some sort of um, preliminary approval, just something that says that you know council is good for right now with the idea that we will come back to you in the fall with just changes. So it allows us to kind of put a big checkbox on a big body of work and really concentrate on um, discussions in the October timeframe on things that have changed. So that is my, my first proposal when it comes to your review of the CIP as well as business technology. Just a preliminary, I'm not gonna, you're allowed to change your minds, but it certainly um, allows us to um, feel pretty confident that unless um, there is something that um, is causing the city to need to make a change to the program that it, it would you know, remain the same. We, um, I'm proposing two additional study sessions, which is really council's opportunity to sit with department directors and um, get to understand um, the budget for their department from their perspective. We do budgeting by priorities, which I've shared with you. It is all focused towards outcomes that the community um, has uh, defined. But I think it is difficult to um, walk straight there and be able to absorb all that budgeting by priorities is um, asking you to understand and decide without being able to make the connections to what the departments do. So um, department directors will be sharing with you their, their current budget, their staffing challenges that they're having um, with their departments. And this may be a place that we choose to put conversation about performance measures as well. So it's certainly an opportunity to have the conversation more at a department level um, than a priority level, although they all will roll up. Um, and then that is it. So forecast budgeting for equity, CIP, department overviews with some preliminary approvals that allow us to move past um, and focus on real decisions that are remaining to be made. At FAC, um, we discussed uh, providing monthly updates. If anything new um, or evolving um, needs to be shared, that is where we will do it. Changes to um, the forecast on the expenditure or on the revenue side, changes to the process, um, anything that has to do with input from the community or our involvement, um, and certainly we can talk about performance measures here. The um, topics on the right are things that are a part of our kind of normal routine um, check-ins at FAC during a budget year, and I've, I've left them um, there, but it's do still plan to um, be providing monthly updates. So where that leaves us in the fall then is um, with the delivery of the budget to council on October 1st. This year, um, what I would like to do is accompany the 600 page, exciting, thrilling cliffhanger of a document with a um, summary that is potentially 40, maybe 50 pages long that will give you information on our revenues, 
on um, the changes to the baseline budgets and anything new or reduced that is happening by priority. So you will have a condensed version that really hits all the high notes and allows you to show up prepared for um, budget deliberations, not flipping all over your thrilling, exciting cliffhanger of a budget document. Um, we then would have the uh, conversations facilitated by a PowerPoint guide that um, communications is helping me to put together that would just allow us to sort of be able to follow the conversation as it's laid out in um, the summary. We check off uh, revenues, hit CIP, hit BTIP, any changes, and then get into conversation about what we are enhancing and what we are reducing. That is really where the changes are. Baseline budgets, um, is they are the same. It is the same programs that council has approved. It's just updated cost, updated salary and benefits, updated uh, indirect cost, updated fleets. We may update some large um, costs that we know we have, licensing, parking, things like that, that we know that we've already agreed we, we need to do, have to do. Um, but the baseline budgets really don't change. Anything that we do is new is called out as an enhancement. So um, recommending that we um, provide you with your budget document and your cliff notes on October 1st, allow a few weeks for a review and certainly time to meet with me or any other director to get information provided. Spend about a half hour the first night going over any changes and then dive into what's new or what's reduced in the first priority and I'm suspecting we'll be able to get to the second as well. We would pick it up the second night. Um, that gives you then a evening for deliberations and trying to get budget adoption done um, before Thanksgiving. This gets us in line with um, other cities um, a little bit. We're still a little higher. Most cities are a couple hours, maybe an evening. Um, and I think you know robust conversation is just fine, but it certainly would be good if we could scale it down. Thoughts? Questions, concerns? Thank you, Director Cochran. Yeah. Questions, comments from the council? Councilmember Salahuddin. Um, just a question on um, process of the uh, proposed study sessions and when we could anticipate receiving information prior to those study sessions, um, just to, if, if we can get the, you know, it doesn't have to be three months in advance, but if we can get information on, on these different topics just sooner rather than later, that would be really appreciated just to have that process ahead of even the proposed council process um, to give us time to review. Yeah, the um, definitely we'll be sharing information um, as we can. Budget documents um, would be released on the first. So we, we would be able to give you the three weeks and certainly any information that we can share ahead of time, we definitely will be. Thank you. Other questions? Okay, I can make a comment. I, I don't want to jump in too, too early, but I will say I appreciate the idea of doing kind of the departmental baseline early. I think that's something that has previously taken a lot of 
uh, time during our budget process in the fall, but is something we could do earlier. Um, although I am curious to understand, because we typically do it by priority, just what it would look like to do it departmentally. Um, I don't think it matters, but if but to get the through line back to where this shows up in the priorities, maybe in the materials or something like that. Yeah, I don't know, um, honestly, that we need to have conversation on baseline. It really is not something that will change. It is just strictly updated um, costs. Plan to provide you um, a document that will show you what's increased and, and why. So um, if it's outside of the norm, um, the other way that we can do that is certainly when the department updates are being done, you know, they can let you know if there's anything um, to expect as a change in their baseline offer. Yeah, I guess I, I misinterpreted then. I thought those departmental updates that we're going to get early on would help us to understand the baseline. They From should. my perspective, I feel that it is important for us to actually cover the top lines of the baseline because the general public doesn't know what we fund. And I think in the past, we sometimes have gotten um, some feedback when all the public sees is what we're adding or taking away, um, that they say, well, why aren't we funding? Parks, or you know, yeah, you know, something that that's really yeah. fundamental that we do, or or you know, roads or or whatever, right? Um, but that's in the baseline, and I think being able to share with our public, and maybe it's the way that the budget gets written, but what we are investing in, that's not just the changes, but but what's kind of making up the bulk of the budget is is still really important. And given that we have two new council members, I do want to make sure that we just kind of bring them and the public along in that. In I that think process. that we can um, set that stage. We plan to um, put together a template that all departments will use. Um, and we certainly can share what their baseline budget offers um, are and um, how they are evolving. I also had planned to share um, during that time with council, the one-time funding that was provided in the current biennium, um, so you can get an idea of where we are in those things and how it's feeding into 25-26. So I think we can make that work. Great. And I would say the other two pieces on process that I wanted to note um, at our council retreat this weekend, um, we did have a discussion about council's budget priorities and interests, and we prioritized them. And so we'll be sending those over to you. So that way you can note, you know, what are some of the items that we're hoping will show up? I think what was great in the last budget is having that set of notes of where it's showing up in the draft budget, what council had, had transmitted early. So hopefully that, that can happen. And then the last question is just, I know we typically have budget hearings. So will those be in between the sessions that you noted? Yep. They, um, they will be, there was one, um, one in two in October, one in November. One in October, right after our final forecast. Uh, year. So one is in October and the other two are in, um, one is in September and the other two are in October and November. I think the last time we also did a hearing before our July CIP or around that time, it might be good to just have another hearing around that we, time. Um, we had talked about that and we looked and we, um, there was not, um, no one had showed um, to that public hearing, but we certainly can um, entertain it. My, my recollection, and others can, can jump in here, was just that it mattered to the council to give the opportunity sure. for hearings. And I know uh, every time we try to do communications, even a video, to invite people to come out and share their thoughts. And um, I think earlier the better in terms of influencing the process. Yeah. Not sure if others want to uh, weigh in. I see some nodding heads. Councilmember Stewart. Sure. I'll, I'll chime in with that to say um, 
there was also, and I don't remember, forgive me if it was a budget hearing or something else in particular and like post hoc, it was like, oh, nobody came, but it also wasn't communicated super well. And those are details that are harder to remember later on. So yeah, I think uh, another theme of our council retreat um, and the conversations we had this weekend were uh, largely around let's plan to do good work and also communicate with the public about that good work too. So um, to me, that feels in line with, with the council. We um, plan to start um, outreach to uh, recruit civic results team members in the April timeframe. If we are going to do um, a public hearing in the July timeframe after we have presented the capital program and business technology, um, we can start um, discussing you know, messaging around that time as well. Thank you. And, and for the listening public and our new council members, can you describe the civic results team, please? I can. So um, the civics results team is a group of community members that uh, volunteer to spend time providing us with feedback on our budget. And the work that they do has varied over time. When we first started budgeting by priorities, they actually would rank every one of our budget offers um, in the same way that staff ranked the budget offers and then we would use the comparison to help make decisions. Over time we've evolved their process and had it focused on things that are really timely. Um, during uh, the pandemic we had them um, really be focused on and you know in these kinds of circumstances what is it that you would expect from your community and the exercise this time will focus on um, budgeting for equity. So we'll, we'll have some projects and some investments that will come out of our um, implementation and they will help us um, make sure that those um, resonate with the community and are good before we finish funding. Thank you. Councilmember Stewart. Sure, I'll kick off the next round of thoughts and I think it's worth having a discussion too in, in response to Director Cochran. We're having this conversation today about a budget process that looks so different than it has in the past um, and, and by when we want to, to commit um, we, we haven't had 24 hours with it just yet, but and we're missing um, our FAC chair tonight. But if we could at least by tonight put a, a, a mark in the horizon about when we can thoughtfully respond to Director Cochran, I think that that would be helpful. Just a few thoughts for me. Number one, so excited about budgeting for equity um, and what that looks like here in our city. Um, I also think it's really important that we trust Kelly um, because Director Cochran has sat um, in the seat where Haritha is now through so many budgets actually. So I'm guessing that um, this plan is year, this this proposal is years in the making and I just wanna really like thank you for your service <laughs> and um, working on, on bringing us a, a new normal um, and making it better. Some of the things that I would be hopeful that this new process um, might lend itself toward is that feeling of um, even you, so, to some extent I'm already feeling it this year like oh the moment's already passed a decision's already been made you know by the directors and maybe I missed my moment to have some of these touch bases with the directors coming as early as June that's like you know a few weeks from now um, so I, I would hope that this I would I would hope that this process would help us feel like we were engaged as a council 
longer in the process and didn't receive something you know that felt fully baked and maybe that's where some of that mistrust we must read every page we must discuss every offer um was maybe born from so i i really hope that um that is, is something we could experience this time I really do appreciate, too, the conversation on keeping the fall around the deliberations of reductions and enhancements. I think one of the things that I haven't yet experienced at the city um, is a, 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 an economic condition that's as stable as it is today, right? So it's been a bouncy few years, and things have been moving around, and even a six-month period, you know, was so difficult to to consider um, in the past while we were in this process. So um, I'm not sure if I'm being completely articulate on that, but I'm just thinking about the environment or the container in which this building, this budget is going to be built this time. It seems like that environment is going to be a bit more stable. Um, and if we can, if we can do this, I, I think that we would, a byproduct of the process would be a different level of trust in the culture of the city of Redmond. And that's worth something, something worth aiming for. The other thing I have failed to point out is that, um, within this time frame, there are two Thursdays that are available if we need it. And we certainly can put a hold out there. And if it turns out that conversation needs to be more robust, um, we would have the time to do that. I guess I would, I would say that from my perspective, because this is a, a significant reduction in the amount of time that we've spent post the, the budget draft budget being delivered, which I think is great. And to all the points that my colleague just made, I think those are really wonderful. Um, just recognizing and respecting council members' time and need to carve out potential time. I think putting just holds on calendars as, um, you know, if needed um, for those Thursdays, which we typically had used, would be important and recognizing even just this study session is uh, likely to go three hours. So two hours is, is pretty ambitious for any one of these. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and I do want to make sure that we leave enough time for council members to be able to ask their questions. Exactly. Any other comments? Council Vice President Forsyth. Just on the topic of time, um, I know many of us um, linger around between the break between the committee meeting and the start of the business meeting. So if we were looking to add a little more time, we might consider starting at 6.30 on some of those Tuesday nights so that we can have a little more discussion, which may potentially free up those Thursdays. Just something for us to consider. Excellent. Um, so what my plan is, is I'll take in what I've heard um, and put together a council calendar to bring back to you in March so you can see it holistically all on one page. Um, and if we need to make any adjustments there, we can, but we should be pretty good with a, a calendar and a plan for you. Um, I'll bring together um, some information on budgeting by priorities. It's important for me um, that you understand what we do and why it's in Important to me. I feel really strongly about how we look at the budget um, through that perspective um, for the community. Um, we certainly look at the budget through a lot of different perspectives or lenses in the finance department. And I want to make sure that um, council 
uh, has the tools that you need to be able to walk from department to um, priority and feel comfortable in making decisions. And so I'll give you some background information and we'll continue to evolve those conversations as well as um, provide you with our long range financial strategy which is really council's guidance on um, how we approach the final financial aspects of um, what we do and so let you take a look at that document um, and make any uh, adjustments or suggested changes that you might have um, between now and the April June time frame. Great. Any comments? Questions? Councilmember Stewart. Um, I will just offer that um, my committee has time next week if we need another touch base on this, or I was going to offer it to council leadership any other topics, but um, I just want to make sure that we're leaving Kelly with like clear direction on, on where a go for um, a different way or, or not. So I, I just want to make sure that we are um, in agreement on that. I think if there is no rush on it, um, that coming back at FAC with our fact chair, I think would be a good idea. But let's let's plan and say council members think on this, yeah. gut check on, on whether this, this schedule makes sense for you or what questions you have, and then bring them to the March fact meeting. That's great. Okay, okay. great. You. I think that that's all. I don't see any other questions. Thank you so much. And with that, that brings us to the final item on our agenda, which is council talk time. Um, I will give a few updates and then I'll, I'll open it up in case people have anything to say. I know we did a lot of talking this weekend at our council retreat. Thanks to everyone for your participation. Um, I met with Council Vice President Forsyth today to just talk about some follow-up steps. We'll be getting the materials from our facilitator, Tracy, and be sharing those out with you all with kind of the, the action steps on those and where we'll be scheduling. I think there were some pieces of things that we want to put on the agenda to schedule um, and then some other things for example like transmitting our budget priorities and some of our policy priorities as well as forming the couple of subcommittees that um, we came up with um, that we'll be following up on via email and, and with the mayor and, and COO to make sure that that we're getting those things moving um, and uh, just appreciate everyone uh, kind of showing up for that and, and bringing those ideas um, we also have been thinking um, in terms of the follow-up on some of our discussion around, uh, you know, how we all work together and in particular the, the pieces around mayor council or executive council kind of collaboration um, that, that we're going to see if, if maybe we can roll in some of our follow-up discussions on that into um, some retreat work with Anita since uh, we'll, we'll be following up on our ready AR work, um, respect, equity, diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism with her in a retreat on April 30th, um, but may still have a few hours. So we're going to look into whether she might be able to help to facilitate also that discussion, which I think really builds on the foundation of what we worked on with her um, of just how we how we build a great team here at Redmond and a, and a great um, culture of respect. Um, so so kind of that just wanted to share that thought since I think it was left out there of how do we follow up on that piece and that was that's kind of where we're thinking about that. Um, and if anyone, I'll pause for a sec. Did any does anyone have any questions or comments um, on retreat follow up at at this point? Otherwise, I'm happy to follow up with updates as we have them. Okay, not seeing. Oh. 
Councilmember Stewart? Just, and I um, communicated this electronically a couple of hours ago, but um, it does look like the 2PW meeting next week has room in it. So if any one of those work items like that could fit in about 20 minutes of council discussion, I certainly um, welcome that, but we would just need to get it into the agenda fairly quickly. Great, yeah, and I, I did see that note, but uh, didn't see it till we just arrived here today. So we'll we'll take a, a look and and follow up with Council Vice President Forsyth to see if any of the items we had on the list might might plug in. I'm wondering. I know one of the things that we did follow up with on with our um, attorney is the discussion around um, our rules of procedure around items from the audience. Um, and I don't know whether that's that's schedulable for next week, but we're going to be looking a little further out for that one. Uh, but getting that in the next month for us to look at. Um, Council Vice President Forsyth, did you have a comment? I was just going to add, if there is conversation to be had, it might be more in this kind of format since we don't necessarily have time to get it on the agenda um, that has to go out for Thursday. Agreed. Yeah, so we'll, we'll take a look at, at the list and see if there's anything that could just be a, a good council conversation uh, at that at that one. And, and if not, then we will be looking and, and appreciate... Um, Councilmember Stewart uh, taking that initiative and would just say to our other committee chairs, when you see some time open as we discussed, let us know um, after your agenda setting and, and hopefully we can plug in um, some of those, those pieces. Um, the second item I wanted to make everyone aware of is that um, on for our March 12th meeting, which is our next study session, um, I think quite a few people are going to be out of town due to conferences and some other pieces. And so um, we're looking into whether we might just have all council members participate remotely for that meeting. We'd still um, have City Hall be open in case the public wanted to come and, and watch in person, but we may just have the actual meeting happen online. So we'll follow up with some details on that, but I did want to flag that for council members since I think quite a few of you had reached out to say that you were going to be gone and it may just be easier for us all to kind of hear each other if we're remote. I will personally be remote as well. So, um, and we'll be chairing that meeting. So that'll, that'll be fun. Um, and then um, just a couple things I wanted to, to highlight as well. Um, council members had asked a little bit about travel expenses and reimbursements. Um, and I think for some of the recent conferences, there had been um, uh, kind of a, a paying up front and then getting reimbursed. Um, but we are talking with the COO about um, you know having some, some of that, uh, those expenses being able to not not have to go through the reimbursement process, but be paid uh, or registered via the city for some of these these pieces. So um, we already have some of that, but just wanted to note, since that had been raised by some council members, that we'll be following up on that since uh, we know not everybody wants to be able to kind of front the, the money for some of these things. And we do want to make sure that council members can get out there and um, be going and learning and connecting. So I um, appreciate all of you who are taking that initiative and we'll follow up with more details on that soon. Um, the other just a uh, couple of things I, I wanted to highlight in terms of policy. Um, uh, COO file sent around a letter today, which was the response um, from the regional crisis response. Um, essentially, they said they are reviewing our request and uh, and they will 
be getting back to us to let us know more about what it would look like um, if we wanted to join. It, it didn't seem like it was a yes or a no, but a, we, will, we are aware and we will provide you some more information. So um, just to know we'll be tracking that. And for the listening public, we are forming a um, smaller subcommittee of council members to make sure that we're following up on that topic and, and continuing to work with staff to advance some work around our, our um, alternative crisis response. Um, we also received a, a question uh, from, from various people about where we're at in terms of our tree regulations. Director Helland um, noted it earlier uh, tonight, but I just wanted to note in terms of timeline for that one that um, uh, the hope is that we're going to have some information based on Kirkland's experience by end of March at the latest, um, and then can determine next steps. Potentially, one next step would be coming just back to council. These are, for those who are new, um, some regulations that we looked at and we were we were intending to pass, and then we only passed a, a smaller chunk, and then we're waiting to kind of uh, wait and watch on on this one bit that that was very similar to a Kirkland. Um, ordinance and then uh, we but uh, it's potentially that we may also um, see that go to planning commission for a public hearing before it comes to us so I'll keep you posted on next steps but for you all and the listening public know that um, we have followed up on this and uh, we will be be seeing this item come back uh, soon since I know we all love having the the right tools in place to protect our trees and grow our tree canopy towards our goals. Um, so any other comments, questions, Council Vice President Forsyth? Yeah, so the City of Bellevue will be working on and the City Council will be looking at their bike plan um, update. They, they had a really big comprehensive bike planning um, section, especially in the Bell Red area. And uh, there's been a lot of community members um, come going to their meetings and speaking out. And I thought it would be nice if our council could um, come up with an, a letter or something showing our support for the work that they're doing and talking about the cross-community connection and the importance of the Bell Red connection and the work that we're doing and the investments that we're putting into bike ped safety in that same area, especially when it comes to light rail, access for light rail, and the whole growth of that um, Spring District area and Overlake. So just wanted to kind of get a temperature check to see if folks are interested. Um, I know that their council is talking about that and reviewing all of that information at the end of March. So we would need to kind of act a bit swiftly. Um, but before I uh, move forward with trying to get something organized and I would be um, reaching out to staff a little bit to help me um, point me in the right direction on some of that documentation, I just wanted to make sure this was something that we were interested in doing as a council to say to their council, please make this a priority as you already have. Um, so just looking for some feedback. Thank you. Um, that seems like a great hopper item. So as, as we discussed this weekend, I think just being able so council members can consider all the details. But I think if, if we could get it for the um, March 12th study session, that, that would give enough time for us to review it. And potentially, we maybe since you floated it now, we could consider um, you know what how we refer that at that meeting. I guess I'm bringing it up now because we don't necessarily have time to go through an entire, like I just want to get a temperature check to see if folks are interested in even me pursuing drafting a letter 
because um, I don't want to spend a bunch of time on it if we're not interested in supporting our neighbors on this. Council members, any comments? I'm seeing, uh, I think, why don't you, you run it through the hopper? I'm wondering if council members maybe are just hoping to get a little more information before weighing in on this or? Yes, uh, council member Nova Camina. My hesitation in response is wondering because there is limited time, um, how much of a lift, what what would it look like? What What would the support needed knowing that we would need to because they're going to be meeting by the end of March on this. So what, what would the, the ask look like? What would our lift need to look like? Um, as far as council's involvement, mm -hmm. um, it's really just a pr approving of a letter, but I personally will say that I don't um, have a lot of bandwidth to do the research to draft said letter and then bring it forward if um, folks aren't interested in signing off on such a thing. So I, I'm trying to get a temperature check as to if this is something we're even interested in doing as, as a council, signing on a letter to say that we support, Redmond is doing investments in bike pad safety in Overlake, and we support Bellevue's efforts to do similarly because this is an interconnected community. Councilmember Stewart. So thank you for that additional information, which provides me some clarity that at the moment, no, I would not be interested in that. Um, because if a council member doesn't have the bandwidth to take it on, which I very much respect, and we've, <laughs> we've all been in this building a lot, um, we also know that our staff don't. So their plates are very, very full and just resource management coming up um, kind of throughout the presentations tonight. Um, that being said, we all have cross-regional relationships and can make phone calls and go for walks and um, have conversations to communicate. We are proud of the investments that we're making. Um, we've also heard from staff that they have relationships with the Bellevue staff and are working together when we asked about, so there's actually an item in the, about the matrix, in the matrix that we reviewed earlier tonight. So uh, the, the point of clarity, I think, is about resources and time. And I appreciate the question. And since you were asking um, for something in a timely way, for me, that's, that's a helpful deciding factor. Seeing no other comments, I guess hopefully it gives you some feedback from my perspective. I would read the letter if it comes through the hopper and, and assess it at that time. So, and I think overall, you know, our um, being able to collaborate with Bellevue since we have the the same bike lanes leading into each other, the same roads is is, is really important as, as I think I've stated in the past. So um, appreciate you bringing it up. Um, all right, are there any other items for council talk time? Seeing none. Oh, yes, Councilmember Salahuddin. Sorry, really quickly. Um, as you mentioned, uh, several council members or a few council members will be attending National League of Cities um, Congressional City Conference in two weeks. Uh, I think it's just myself and Council Vice President Forsyth. Uh, I'm going to connect with Council Vice President Forsyth because the agenda came out and there's a lot of sessions. We don't want to double dip and um, would love to also ask uh, ask the group, you know, whenever we have some 
open time, I guess, um, on sessions that might be of value to the entire council and, and the community would love to, you know, see if there's um, opportunity to, to attend those. Uh, and then um, question, do we know who the ombud is for March? It's me. Awesome. Thank you. Just uh, wanted to get some clarity on that. Yeah, and uh, I think we just uploaded into the OneDrive a the ombuds calendar, so Perfect. you can remember which is your month. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thank, thank you. Um, and thank you very much for bringing up about the National League of Cities. That's that's the conference that's going on when we'll be doing the, hopefully, online meeting. Um, and so uh, look forward to hearing back from both of you at the, the next study session after that, um, all about your takeaways. And and uh, and appreciate if you, if you want to send the agenda so we can flag that it'd be fun on behalf of us for you to go check it out and, and report back. Councilmember Stewart. And don't miss the first timers breakfast. It's so helpful. It's so helpful. Uh, so I hope you really enjoy that. Thanks. Absolutely. Great. All right. Well, seeing no other items, last chance. Yeah. This meeting this is meeting adjourned. adjourned.